Okay, jazz hands is like this, Lou. We got to see it. Let's go. There we go, Lou from Standard Manufacturing giving us go, STD, STD. Oh, my God. I can't even see those hands. They're moving so fast. Everybody's going to get an STD now. <laughs> they didn't wash my hands. Yeah, standard Manufacturing, jazz hands going. Walter, like, you're I, doing it. I can stop now or I can keep going. Yeah, you can, yeah, you stop. can stop. You can stop. Okay, we are live. We are live. I hope you guys have your big girl panties on, um, you know. Get out some panties that were made in Connecticut. I'm not exactly sure. Lou will tell us. I don't know. Isn't I, isn't Connecticut's uh, like the license plate theme the the Constitution state? Yeah, it is. Is it? All right. Oh. May I may ask one question? What the happened? <laughs> okay, Walters came right in. <laughs> all right, all right. That, I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> okay, Lou will answer that. But Lou Standard Manufacturing is in Connecticut. Okay, they are the maker of the SKOs. Like we got those here. They're the maker of, um, of the DP-12. Lots of good guns. Lou's got some stuff. So we're going to be talking to Lou from Standard Manufacturing. Well, dropping guns already. Oh. They're tough. Don't worry about it. They're unbreakable. Yeah, so we're going to be talking to Lou from Standard Manufacturing. There he goes. Lou, what's up, man? How's everybody tonight in the, uh, 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 in the internet world? Good. The folks out there are good. Podcast brand. Uh, Yes, absolutely. I don't, a, I don't even know what a podcast is. I've is this is this your first it. podcast? This is my very first. I'm a podcast virgin. We are popping your cherry. <laughs> You're popping your cherry. How do you like it? I never thought I never envisioned it to be this way. But, you know. Yeah. Are you a top or a bottom? <laughs> I don't know, but I can tell you in the beginning it hurts a little bit. <laughs> yes. Now you fit right in. <laughs> we'll be gentle. We'll be gentle. Not really. Not really. So yeah. So Lou from Santa Manufacturing, he's going to be here for the whole two two hours, Lou. I don't know. I mean, this is crazy. Two hours. Who wants to talk yes. to me for two hours? This that's how we crazy. that's how we do it here. The people, the people want to talk to you. And I'm going to encourage all you folks out there to go follow Standard Manufacturing. They're on Instagram under just search Standard Manufacturing. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. OK, you guys have a YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff. You guys will get to see Tony from Standard Manufacturing over there shooting up guns and a whole bunch of other things. Plus, Lou's got guns. So we're going to have plenty of Gorn. Okay. Just can you show the people? Do you have any guns? You're in standard manufacturing. How about this? Do you have guy? any guns now? Ooh, look at that. Ooh. Very nice. Very nice, Lou. Mm. Yeah, delicious. Look at the wood. This is what standard standard <laughs> manufacturing is known for wood and STDs. <laughs> and the nice. two go together just like you know yeah nice <laughs> look at that that's a nice gun so lou's got lots of more guns like that we're going to talk about we also have this guy walter yeah, i got a special in the box tonight gun we'll open yeah a little later. yeah something that you box. drew huh? old in the box old in the box not new in the box old yeah, in the box yeah old in the bo so walter this box has never been opened oh it's been opened i shot the gun oh Okay. I mean, they just—they didn't drop it in my backyard out of a out of a from a parachute. <laughs> yeah, B seventeen. Yeah. It might, oh, it might get to that again, or in this country, or we may have to resist. In Connecticut, they'll be dropping them off. Yes. Yeah. The rest of us will have to parachute some guns into <laughs> some Connecticut. Some people. I hate. I wonder if any of these have ever been turned in, like in a buyback. I don't oh know. my God! What are those worth? Um, one of these, a real Liberator, probably in really good shape, probably like three thousand. Okay. Wow. Three thousand. Wow. Yeah. What? What? What were they worth uh, back in uh, oh, the the forties? They, they probably made these things for a dollar or something. I don't know what the hell they. Okay. You know they were made. I think these were made by General Motors. I think too. And oh, really? 
those companies that did a lot of stamping and stuff. So yeah. 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 So awesome. Okay. So that's what we're going to be here. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about other things. You guys can let us know all the folks out there. Shout out to you. I'm going to probably jump into the questions because I'm sure Lou has a bunch of cool guns and you guys have questions. I have questions. Walter has questions and stuff like that. So just start asking us here. We're going to try to handle as many of your questions as we possibly can. Walter, if I miss something, let me know. Okay. Um, I think Lou has got a guy over there that should be looking at questions and things like that too. Um, so what is this? Um, uh, Brian Anderson says way off subject, but this is a good wake up call for refugees taking taxpayer money. And he's got some kind of link in there. So I got to look at that and see exactly what it is. Did you and, see they, uh, had, they, they, they uh, had 75,000 people trying to cross the border last month. That was amazing. Wasn't it? What the hell's going on, man? <laughs> well, when you say you're going to close the border and build a wall, that's like saying I better get my ass there quick. <laughs> so yeah, it is. It is. That's so, the whole city. That's the whole city. The whole city of New Britain in trying to cross the border in 30 days. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and there's no way we don't have the resources to deal with that many people crossing the border. Yeah, the resources yeah. are just going to come out of your pocket. That's called taxes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They don't care how they spend our money. So, okay, listen, before we uh, before we jump into this right now, let's first of all, Lola's telling me that we got to have Lou introduce himself and tell us who he is and all that kind of stuff. So who are you, Lou? My name is Lou Ferduoso. Most of a lot of people, maybe no one, I don't know who's even watching this, but uh, uh, I'm the president of Standard Manufacturing. We're a manufacturing company that makes tactical guns, high quality, uh, feature rich stuff. That's just, you know kind of what we do. Again, very high quality stuff, which we'll talk about more in a little while. Make very high quality guns, and uh, we're located in New Britain, Connecticut. And while I'm talking about Connecticut, I've actually had people come and tell me in email me they'll never buy a gun from us because we're in connecticut i mean that's just the most bizarre thing is that you can't blame a guy where he lives on whether you're going to buy you know a gun or not so if i'm yeah. if the gun was made in, New, in rhode island you'd buy it i mean it's, okay you know, yeah you know what that's the, yeah go ahead Lou. i'm sorry i, I, mean, I mean don't blame us for the political climate around us and we have really no control which we're going to talk about later but we have really no control over these people that go into the into the state legislature and just come out with these crazy crazy who knows what kind of laws and so forth but mm -hmm. we have no control over that and yeah. you know you know, you, sh ah, you should move to you should move to uh, uh to florida you should move to nashville you should move to here to florida is not that free anymore lou just uh FYI. Yeah, or whatever the uh, wyoming or something i mean right i mean hank you've been here to move this factory one inch to the left would be cost prohibitive you almost just have to leave everything behind and start all over again you just can't move this yeah. stuff I think people. I think people who say that, Lou, don't understand. Uh, I mean, I get why people are saying it, right? But I think people who are saying that don't understand what it actually takes to to make guns. The amount of machinery, how heavy it is, how you're going to be able to pick that up and move it over to another place, all the expenses that go behind that. And look, I I was one of those guys that believed like if, if I lived, I grew up in New York, and if it's if you live in a terrible state for guns. You know, I understand saying, OK, you got to get out of there. But right now, what's happening in America, every state is a terrible state for guns. If we don't all fight back, if we don't push back, all the gun manufacturers yeah. should move to Connecticut. That way, you know, we got, you know, power numbers. Well, <laughs> good luck with that. Good luck with that one. Crazy what, 
Yeah, it is a crazy. Listen, here's the thing. I think that I understand why people are saying that to you, but I don't think people understand what's happening with manufacturing guns and all the machinery and stuff like that that goes into it. And it's not your fault. Like if if they, you know, if they stop supporting you, how does that help anything in the gun thing? What you guys need to do, what what as manufacturers and the and the folks out there that are buying guns, people that believe in the Second Amendment, fight back, push back against this stuff. That's what we need to do. Right. Because we need people. We need people to make things everywhere. Right. We're in Connecticut. We employ employ a lot of really good, talented people in the state. We employ, you know, sometimes 100 people, I guess, in in this factory. And you've seen it. And, uh, you know, we, you know, they take home a good paycheck and they're just making a living just like anyone else. But even the employees we have, even most of the people have no control over they have no control over the political day-to-day nuances that happen unless they really are active in it and, and do it. But just to say, oh, I'm just not going to do it because, I mean, like you hit the nail on the head, not buying a gun from a company in Connecticut is makes no point. You're almost playing into their hand. Yeah. You're and almost also, playing into their hand. I mean, it is, it is tough, though. It is tough. The flip side of that is that it's tough, I'm sure, for the people that work for you, that they're making sometimes guns that they can't own. Yeah, lots of stuff. But, right. Yeah. But those people on their own, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're gun guys if they work in if they yeah, work right. with you guys. Right. Yeah, I know you're guys. a gun guy without question. I know you're a gun guy. Um, and I'm sure the folks that work for you are gun people. They're yeah. not happy that they can't buy those guns, but someone's got to fight and push back against these right. things. You know, right. right. Um, why don't you tell people because you know this better than I do. Why don't you tell people the history of gun manufacturing in Connecticut? Well, Connecticut is really the, the, the cradle of gun making in the United States, if not the world. I'm not talking about guns they made, you know, you know, bum busters or something they made in the 1500s the pirates used or something. But uh, the cradle of American gun making, make no mistake, is in the Connecticut River Valley, which pretty much spans from almost, you know, the border of New York all the way up to Springfield, Massachusetts. And, you know, between Smith and Weston, Massachusetts, and all the gun makers that you used to have, and I'll name all the makers that have been here, was uh, Winchester, Remington, uh, uh, Marlin was here. Mm-hmm. All the Colt, big names Colt, right? Colt is, is still here. Colt is uh, still there, okay. You know, Mossberg, all the big names all got their start in, within, you know, within a 50-mile radius of where I'm sitting. This is where it all started. It wasn't, you know, Texas. It wasn't Florida. It wasn't... Uh, you know, it was Connecticut. Connecticut was, you know, in fact, they even made Gatling guns here. They made all sorts of stuff here from essentially the beginning of U.S. history. Yeah. And uh, this is where it all this is where it all came from in terms of the modern gun, as you know, today, pretty much its origins in terms of design and manufacturing started off right here in Connecticut. And uh, I mean, that was the golden age, right? That's yeah. the golden age of guns. All those uh, gun manufacturers that you just named. Um, in that time period when those companies were there, that's when we were everyone was out there trying to get their hands on those guns that they made. Some of them have left, uh, probably a lot of them at this point, right? Yeah, but a lot of it had to do with, with consolidation, for example. Uh, uh, Har- Harrington Richardson, you know, they were bought out by Remington, by, I guess, Freedom Group, and they mm-hmm. closed them down. Marlin. Bought, bought out by the Freedom Group, and they moved them down south, but they moved them, I don't know, what, you know, they moved them out of here and closed everything down. I think a lot of the reasons why they moved it out of here was because of the cost structure uh, to make the guns. It was a lot cheaper to make it, you know, in, in the Sun Belt or the Rust Belt or whatever mm-hmm. it was paid. It was a, was a financial decision, not a quality or any decision except came down to money. Okay. I think Stag is still there, right? Stag. Yeah, they're still here. They're still yeah. here. 
they're still there. So what happened, man? How how did this all fall apart in your because you're are you like Connecticut born and bred? Yeah, pretty much. I was actually born. I'm actually Portuguese. I was born in Portugal. I came over when I was 18 months old. Okay. You know, basically, Connecticut born and bred because, you know, you're a, an yeah. 18 month old kid, you know. Yeah. You know, so you're part of the like Portuguese mafia in Connecticut. Yeah. All, all one of us. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, there, but like full disclosure, I've been to Standard Manufacturing. It's a beautiful place. I don't know if they let everyone go over there and visit. Do you guys? Yeah, we're open to the public. We don't give okay. shop tours and so forth, but we are open to the public uh, on Thursdays and Fridays, you know, okay. like 10 to 5 and stuff. If we had just people willy-nilly walking in all hours of the day, you know, we just get get nothing done all day long. Okay. We, have really, we have a really cool showroom that uh, yeah. uh, 1% of it really is the tactical DP-12 stuff, but we have some. But it's really uh, – and it's a good segue into, into how we started. We started making high-grade guns. The finest shotguns in the world were made here – are made here – and uh, arguably in New Britain, Connecticut, under the company of Connecticut Shotgun. And uh, we've diversified into making tactical guns because there was just a need for it. And we have a lot of great ideas that don't fall into the, the bailiwick of Connecticut Shotgun. So, uh, yeah, we make, a, you know, under the name Standard Manufacturer, we make 1911s. We make a lot of different cool, cool, high-quality guns. Okay. How many people do you guys employ there? About 100 people. About 100? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys ever get a chance to check out, um, check out that showroom, if you really want to see that these guys, you still make bespoke shotguns. Right. right. Yeah. It's, guns up to $250,000. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. It's like if you've ever watched a show about how they make a Rolls Royce, these are like the Rolls Royce of shotguns. Um, I would love to do a video on that sometime, Lou, where you guys pretend I'm like some kind of baller. And I, you know, yeah, right. Because I know people come in there on their like private jets and helicopter in or take their yeah, submarines. The people on private jets, they got to tell me they have a private jet when they're walking in, not when they're leaving to catch the private jet, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, try to show them a $200 gun. And you, know, you got to tell me if you have a private jet and you come to visit me, tell me that on the way in, not when you're leaving to catch a private jet. <laughs> It'll help me out a lot. Yeah. So I suggest you guys check it out. I have been there to Connecticut. Um, I think we, we have some videos. Um, you know, it's really I like that area. Um, I got to hang out with these guys down there. Uh, and also, Lou, the re he's talking about being Portuguese. The reason that I know all my genetic stuff is because Lou decided he was going to figure out his genetic stuff. And he was like, I want to see if I'm related to you, Hank Strange. And I am. I think so, uh, I think there is yeah. some, some link there somewhere. Uh, you've got like two percent African <laughs> Mali, I think. Hey, yeah, you've got you've got Mali, except I don't have any Mali. <laughs> yeah, that one right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, we all did it. It was you, Lola, me, and Grace at the time. Yes. Oh, there you go. You've got yours. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. The, uh, the Portuguese were traders and sailors, so yeah. You know, Everybody's going to be related to the every, Portuguese. Every every homes every port's a home, as I've been told. Before. Yeah. Uh, with, with my with my DNA, they did a lot of sailing and trading. I can tell you that. Yeah. And I was surprised. Yeah. I'm pleasantly surprised when I saw I came back and I had all these crazy things. And Lola, she was pretty solid into one place. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. Lola was basically, if you've ever imagined an Aryan nation, like an African Aryan nation person, that would be Lola. She's a hundred percent African. That's because the. the I, what I understand in Africa that it's tribal and the people stay in their groups. Most of the time, it's uh, yeah. yeah. It, well, that used to be the the case in the world, and I'm sure that there's still but people like that. Obviously, Lola is, but not everyone's like that. There's lots of African people that are still mixed up. But 
Uh, Lola, pe- Lola's people were always mad at me because I came along messed up. Lola is some kind of African princess. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, I, yeah, maybe she doesn't want anyone to know about that. <laughs> the goddess of fire. Yeah, you know, like some kind of, there's a lot of there's a lot of African princesses in Africa. <laughs> Nubian princesses. Yeah, but who wants to go over there to get one? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, well. Yeah, if you've got money, it's awesome. Yeah, right. If you have money, you can live like a king. You're gonna have to have bodyguards, right? You're gonna have left have to have lots of guns around you. Okay, so we were talking about this. How did how did um, how did Connecticut fall so far, man? Because you grew up in Connecticut, right? Yeah. And you probably you probably saw this golden age that we're talking about in guns. What the hell happened? How did this fall apart? Well, I think the golden age, you know, back, you know, during wartime, for example, is a, a good place to start. During wartime, you know, you had cult hair and, you know, they were feeding the North and the, during the Civil War, for example. They were feeding both the North and the South with weaponry and so forth. And, you know, when, when it's, it's crunch time, they have no problem making guns for the military and so forth. But once the war is over, the people are still here. The technology is here. The machinery is still here. People can continue to make what I call, you know, consumer level products. So, you know, people don't need M1 carbines anymore. People don't need, you know, uh, uh, you know, the military grade weapons. So the companies like Colt, for example, and Remington and these companies who are providing a lot of stuff for the government, they said, hey, let's start making this stuff for, for consumers. And that's kind of how it kind of evolved into what it, what it is today before everybody left and the state became really, you know, really tough on, on gun makers. And it's tough for us because we don't get, you know, all of the same benefits in terms of grants and so forth that the other companies that make other things do. And that's why, you know, I drive home or I drive on Saturday, I'm going someplace. You see hospitals and uh, branches of hospitals opening up everywhere in the state and, you know, insurance and medical and stuff, but you really don't see any manufacturing. I mean, those are those manufacturing are the most precious jobs that you can, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a biased guy cause I, I'm in manufacturing, but seriously, right. if I had to create the, you know, the ideal city, it'd be in, incredibly manufacturing based because yeah, you, know, you, have, you have to give people things to do. Right. Right. You, and only, only so many people can work in a hospital. Yeah, right, right. And hospital, you know, those are jobs, and I'm sure there's a lot of talented people, but a lot of people that work in hospital aren't high-paying jobs, or, you know, I'm sure the doctors, the radiologists. They don't. Mm-hmm. Another thing the hospital doesn't do, it doesn't, when you do, when you make things out of metal, you have to get that metal from someone else. And that's another right. job. That's another people that are working, and the truck driver that brings it to you, and right. then, you know, the, the wood, and the, da, 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 there's a, it trickles down. Oh, that yeah. bad word. I'll use that bad word of trickle down. Yeah. Right. That's not a bad word here, but I it, understand. It, it work, it trickle works. down economics is a bad word to some people, but it's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so some of these tech jobs and all this stuff, they don't, they don't trickle down. They don't. They yeah. Don't well, you know what? I think also the world wants things manufactured in America. Well, right? Yeah. right or wrong. Yeah. There's something about stuff that was made here in America. Or they right. used to be. I don't know if that's going to continue or not, but we're we're in danger of completely letting that go. I mean, look at what happened to Detroit, right? But even in Detroit, from the uh, auto manufacturers that went out of business, there's businesses springing up there using those same people and those skills yeah, to manufacture other things that the world is asking for because they're so beautifully handcrafted and stuff it's like also, that. It's also got to do with politics. There's a lot of different things right. that cause these things, but political um, uh, parties who who don't um, that favor certain things and, and look down on other industries or they want to, you know, their social programs kill industry too. So 
and environmental stuff and all that. I mean, it's just one thing after another. So, yeah. yeah back to Detroit. All the people that were the talented people and the assembly line workers and the engineers and the people when a car comes off the assembly line and it doesn't work, the people figure out, hey, you know, the fuel pump's not working or the, we forgot to, you know, we something, you know, all that talented people, they went to where the jobs were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to. There was no choice. Yeah, they went to where the jobs were and they got backfilled by by essentially nothing. Yeah. It's it's too bad that that's happening. So you're saying like obviously these things grew out of um supplying the uh the military or the military yeah. industrial yeah. complex right. that people talk about. But then they still got bigger um uh, building guns for the consumer market, right? Right. And on top of that, you do have a lot of technology above and beyond the gun making. We're going a little bit off of off off mm-hmm. the path here, but you know they've got Sikorsky helicopter here. Oh, I yeah, remember yeah, Brad yeah. Whitney when they had in East Hartford, Connecticut, they had twenty five thousand people working in one on one, I guess campus or whatever you want to call it. But they had twenty five thousand people working in East Hartford. And if you dr- try to drive through this area at five o'clock in the afternoon, you'd never get through. There's so many people leaving at five o'clock in the afternoon to go home or wherever they went home. But it was just a, a it was the Pratt and Whitney in East Hartford was a city within a city it was its own city so what happened to all that i mean he's still there and so he's still there there, but now they're making jet engines and components for jet engines and asia and all over the united states all the components now are made anywhere i mean Okay. You know, talented people everywhere, but you know, Pratt we Sikorsky helicopters still here. There's, you know, Otis elevators still here, but they've moved down to South Carolina. I think Florence, South Carolina, they got a lot of stuff because you know it just comes down at the end of the day. It comes down to the cost structure, comes down to money. When a guy makes an elevator for a Holiday Inn Express and uh, uh, their competitor, whoever Otis's competitors for an elevator, they're selling it for fifteen thousand dollars cheaper. Either Otis is going to drop their price and go out of business or they're going to figure out a way to make the elevator cheaper or cost effective and competitive right. against their competitor. And what they do is they, you know, go to a place where the tax base and the weather, weather, weather yeah. plays a part in it too. Yeah. Did, did we lose Lou? Is he Lou frozen? Looks like he's frozen there. Hurt yeah. Lou. Hurt Lou. Okay. Um, I don't know if you can hear us, Lou, but it looks like he froze over there. No, Are you back? There you go. You're back. There you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. You froze for a second. I don't know if that was on our end or your end. Well, it's uh, twenty degrees out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lola, if you're using the internet, stop using it. I don't know if that was on my end that that happened. I don't. No, everything yeah. was fine on my end. Oh, okay. Let me uh, just check with Lola. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Oh yeah. So yeah, my uh, I'll tell you a Sikorsky story. My uh, back in the old days when Sikorsky lived in uh, over in the old country in Russia, my um, some of my family members actually knew him and wow. uh, rented, rented him a place to live or something like that. Uh, and uh, so when he got well, my 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 family came to the U.S. after World War Two from they were originally in the Ukraine in Kiev, but um, ended up in German labor camp, da, 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 all that, all that big story. Anyways, they all got here afterwards. And there was a letter from Sikorsky, the man to my grandfather that my grandfather had. And then, uh, after he died, uh, his sister showed up and the letter disappeared. But, um, <laughs> but that was interesting to, to find that out that, you know, yeah, there was a connection there. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's a, he's a freaking a pioneer in that, in that yeah. field. So yeah. yeah. Do you guys still have that letter, Walt? Uh, I think my aunt has it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah. So, OK, so all these things started to leave. For, so w- when did this all start happening that these companies started moving away from Connecticut well, or downsizing or being taken over? 
it really started with the textile industry and so forth. You know, in fact, uh, up way north of here, we had, you know, Fall River, Massachusetts and stuff, all the textiles, all that stuff went down to the Carolinas and where they were making, you know, not to use to use fruit or loom as an example. You know, let's just say they're making boxer briefs in, in Connecticut or Massachusetts and they had textile and all the woven stuff. And this is back before electricity. This is when they were running factories from uh, water wheels on, 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 on the edge of the rivers and stuff. Uh, all that stuff, all that cost of labor and everything and all that technology went down south and it was there for a while. And then it ended up going to, you know, uh, Malaysia and China and all these. Vietnam. Other yeah, yeah, Vietnam, you get a pair of underwear to look where it's made. It's made in Sri Lanka or something. Or Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a pair of underwear is just a piece of cloth. They get the cloth from somewhere. They sew it all up. Uh, a lot of it's probably automated, too. And they put it in a box. It doesn't take a lot to put on a container ship and ship out a 40-foot container to, to Walmart or something. And yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. To make it there. I think, hi, that, I think yeah, Lola, Lou's saying hi to you, Lola, by the way. Hello. Yeah. So, the you know, the thing is, I think there's still people out there that want uh, good quality things that yeah. want things that are well manufactured. Yeah. But I know we all have like part of this whole problem is every everyone out there also wants certain things as cheap as possible. Yeah, right. Well, naturally. Yeah. You want the best deal you can get. Yeah. Yeah. So that has to be the balance of everything. So how did you with with um, with uh, Connecticut shotgun and standard manufacturing? How did you guys adapt to all of this? Because you still have. Um, I know you still have the factory. You still have a, a, a capacity to make uh, really amazing things. And you guys are still making those bespoke shotguns. How are you guys balancing all of that with the with the other end of the market that you're getting into? Well, the thing is, we still make high-grade shotguns. Uh, the high-grade shotgun business isn't what it used to be back in, you know, 25 years ago. There's, you know, the people who are buying high-grade shotguns is obviously an older, more mature audience and mm-hmm. uh, market. And uh, those people die, unfortunately. You know, if a guy's buying a gun that's 62 years old and he holds the gun for 20 years, he's, you know, 82, he passes away. The family doesn't want the gun. They want to convert that to cash. It goes on the gun brokers and Guns International and, and websites. And, you know, you're competing with your own stuff that you're making new, which is a little bit difficult versus, you know, you take like an AR-15 or something or a, in most guns where, you know, you buy a tactical gun or you buy a, a, a consumer level, you know, Glock, maybe Glock's not a good example, but you buy a gun and uh, Glock's not really worried. Maybe they are a little bit about their guns going on the secondhand market. When you have a gun that's $500 that goes on the secondhand market, you, have, you know, people, you know, they do trade their guns in and people buy used guns. But with the high grade guns, when you have a $25,000 gun or a $50,000 gun and it goes on the high grade market, secondhand market, and you're selling that, you know, for, you know, half the price of what the cost you make to a new one. Sure, a guy's going to say, you know, I can buy a Connecticut shotgun gun for a lot less on the secondhand market than what it costs to make a brand new one. So you're always competing. And as you know, even a very inexpensive gun, even that Liberty gun, I mean, that's something essentially is 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 basic as it is, as, as pedestrian as it is. That's a very, that's that gun is essentially intended to last forever. You can go buy $99, a, 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 a savage rascal or something. You can buy that gun essentially is going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's not going to deteriorate or spoil right. unless you don't take care of it. Right. And, you know, yeah. you're not really influenced with that on a $99 gun. I don't think Savage cares that there's, you know, a thousand $99 guns, you know, that they make new on the market being sold because people are always coming in, whether it's a Wingmaster or, or a Mossberg pump or something. There's always people come in buying 
buying these guns all the time, going into the store and buying them. But when you make a very expensive gun that you only make five or 10 a year of, or maybe even less, and all of a sudden a very similar gun shows up on the secondhand market uh, because the gentleman or the person passed away, and you know, you're competing with your own stuff on the secondhand market when it's a very expensive gun. So uh, uh, what makes uh, what makes you know standard manufacturing great is that uh, you know people come up to me all the time and they say, uh, uh, I mean, who buys a twenty five thousand dollar gun? I would never be afraid to shoot a two thousand dollar gun or eight thousand dollar gun. Uh, but that's not at all the case. You know, a lot of people buy very high grade guns and shoot them and enjoy them. But uh, yeah. the, with the with the nineteen elevens that we make and the DP twelves and and the SKOs, it's stuff that the average guy can afford and enjoy. And what we like to, to do is we make very high quality stuff and the, the average guy can buy. And our 1911 for $18.99, the most expensive one that you can buy with the case coloring engraving, that's a lot of gun for not a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I think the high end guns, though, that you guys make and other people make, those are heirlooms. Those are investments, right, right. you know, and also you get what you pay for. There's things in there that maybe if you're, you know, if, you, if you're the casual user of this stuff or you go out plinking or whatever, you maybe you don't appreciate. Right. But that but you're going to get what you pay for out of it. Right. Right. So uh, there's a couple of things here, Walter, unless you have something. Um, let's see what's going on here. Uh, Archangel's reminding everyone to thumbs ups, by the way, which I forgot. Please smash the thumbs, okay? If you're not subscribed to the channel, subscribe and ring the bell. We appreciate that. Share this. Uh, Casino Boss wants me to ask you, Lou, if you make any political contri uh, contributions to anti-2A candidates <laughs> slash incumbents in Connecticut or other nearby states. So are you supporting the people who are trying to take the guns away? I'm not really a pol political guy in terms of financial whatever. I don't make political financial contributions to, you know, a, a opponent or proponent of the gun industry. I don't really make political. I mean, most people don't really. I mean, we don't make most people. 99% of the people, your audience, probably 99% of your audience probably don't make any political contribution contributions to a to a to a person or to a political uh, somebody running for mayor someone running for governor someone running for senate or the congress most people don't you know i we don't really make political contributions to anyone oh, okay now do you you guys support the second amendment i asked you this at shot show <laughs> but we can get into it again for folks who haven't seen that video yeah, you guys support the second amendment right and my words there if i remember correctly without the second amendment you're going to lose the other ones real quick uh, okay yep yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people out there with that. I mean, I don't I don't know if these are things maybe you guys don't want to get into. But, you know, what do you guys do in, in to support that? Well, I personally, as a, a, a person, I support and everybody goes, ah, da, 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 da. no, this terrible, terrible, terrible. But, you know, I'm a NRA life benefit. You know, every year I try to upgrade it to the next level and stuff. And I know there's a lot of anti NRA people. But at the end of the day, and correct me if I'm wrong, at the end of the day, the NRA's probably got the biggest bang for your buck in terms of clout to influence people. Yeah, there's other people, I mean, s smaller, you know, parties and stuff, but they don't have the the strength that the NRA has to kind of represent what our political views are. And just, yeah. uh, just as simple as that. And like I said, if you hate the NRA and you're not going to give them money, at least and, and you do want to contribute – Contribute to any party or any any not a party, but any 
Yeah, what? there's gun owners of America. There's yeah. a bunch of different organizations. Guys, if you hate the yeah. NRA, but I, there's also nothing. I don't think we should demonize the people like yourself, uh, Walter. If I'm not mistaken, you're a life member of the NRA, right? Yep, I did that after Bill Clinton got elected. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the folks like yourself, Lou, you've been in this game for a long time. I remember you were showing me um, you probably you, you still have it. I'm sure you've got a bunch of different CCWs around the country, right? Yeah, I have a uh, Utah CCW that's good for, I don't know, 32 or 38 states or something. Right. Here, here's a crazy. Here's the craziest thing that you, this is this is a, a this is insane. Let's just for, say, for example, that I have a Smith and Wesson J frame that I carry. In the state of Connecticut, I have a Connecticut concealed carry license. So I can go anywhere in the corners of Connecticut. I can't go to you know certain places with it and whatever. But uh, one, uh, I have a Connecticut concealed carry per- permit, which doesn't reciprocate with any other state in the union. That's okay. I got it. Mm-hmm. So I can go anywhere in Connecticut, and I can have a concealed carry gun on me within you know places within reason. Yeah, in, in Connecticut, if you have that, if you have that um, concealed weapons permit, is that to a specific gun? In Connecticut, no, no type of gun, or it's any gun that you want to carry. It's any gun that you want to carry that's okay. legal to carry, which is they are pretty, you know, pretty liberal on in terms of handguns and stuff. I okay. mean, because some some places it has to be a specific gun. Yeah, no, okay. uh, Connecticut's pretty much any gun. What the what the what the constraints really are are you can't have a threaded barrel. You can't have more than a 10 round magazine. You can have a 10 round magazine if you registered it before the date or whatever, kind of Brady Bill kind of thing. And uh, so anyways, my point is I got a, a Smith & Wesson J-Frame 38 special revolver and I'm carrying it. And I also have a Utah. The one I showed you was my Utah license. It's good for, I think, 32 states. Mm-hmm. When I go and I'm driving across the country and I drive across the country sometimes to, to gun shows all over. We all do. I know you do, Hank. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, Walter does too. Show, when I get to the New York border, I got to pull over, <laughs> lock it up in the trunk, go to Pennsylvania, then pull over again. Then I can carry it again. And then I get to Illinois. And I got to pull over at the border there, take it out again until until I get to Iowa. This is crazy. It sucks. The Second Amendment should be over the whole country. So yeah. here's the thing I was going to say to you. Look, I'm not going to knock the people who supported the NRA and went out there and bought life memberships. I don't know if, of anyone doing that. I think obviously um, in the last few years, probably we can bring that down to about the last two years. People have been very upset with the direction the NRA is going. There's still things that they're doing, of course, that that. Um, I agree with. And then there's uh, a tax that the NRA is suffering from the left that I don't agree with. Right. But we all we all have that right to fight with the NRA. Right. um, Over how they're doing things. You can absolutely go out there and support people. But I'm not I don't think you should be ashamed of the fact that over all these years of being in the industry and being a gun guy that you supported the NRA or anyone else who did that. You know, it's it's, if there's something wrong, it's it's leadership and not the people who supported them. Well, on top of that, who's to say that's not a right wing ploy to have people, you know, be what's better than being a gun guy, a pro gun guy and being anti NRA. That's just again, that's. Well, no, but I think there's stuff that the NRA did. That's the thing that we can't. I mean, a lot of what we have going on now with, um, okay, the bump stock ban. I'm, I'm not sure where you're at on that. We may, we may disagree on that one, but that is a door that the NRA specifically opened up, you know, and and even the president has jumped into that. And now the, banning the bump stocks is not going to end there because I know there's the strategy that, oh, if they ban these bump stocks, that's going to be the end of it. And they won't go after other things. Yet we see them 
Look, there's no one to. out there that's happy that the, that Trump is putting out this bump stock ban and going, oh, good, we're happy now. They're trying to impose other things on yeah. us. Yeah, that's going to be you death know? by a thousand cuts. Yeah. So that's the reason why there's lots of like there's lots of gun guys. I know not every gun guy, but there's lots of gun guys. I'm one of those guys that says, like, not one inch. We're not giving up anymore. As a matter of fact, we want to claw back the stuff that was taken away from us. And I think that's where the folks out there get uh, very passionate about it. And rightly so, because, you know, there's there's not just the NRA, by the way, there's lots of Republican politicians out there that are opening these doors and letting these guys come in. And, and, and just run roughshod over us and do whatever the hell they want to. Well, that's terrible. Again, I don't yeah. know exactly what the what the bump stock thing is with the NRA, and I'm sure there's other things that I would disagree that maybe you might disagree with. You might might like that they do. I'm sure maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Right. But there's certain things with any anything, with any relationship you have with any organization, you're never going to be 100% with everything they do, and it, it's not a reason to walk away. Yeah. So and, and here's the thing that I think we have to be careful of, because this kind of happened today. You, you're probably not aware of this. I don't know if Walter is. OK, but our friend Jim Fuller that makes the AK. I saw it. I saw it. I saw yeah. So Jim Fuller, I, I personally I personally like Jim Fuller. I think he's a cool guy. He came out with a video asking the question because people want to repeal the Hughes Amendment. You know, there's a bunch of things involved in that. Take things off the NFA, um, machine guns, all this stuff. And Jim Fuller says, are we really ready for that kind of freedom? You know, and he's asking that question of people. Are we ready for that, for um, the bad guys that want to do stuff to us to have easier access to these things, I think is the way he was trying to put it. Um, And here's the thing. Before you say it, Walter, here's the thing. Um, I know a lot of people are mad at Jim Fuller because he said that. Okay, I don't understand why he said it. But here's what I believe. You know, the bad guys, the bad guys are going to do whatever the hell the bad guys want to do. Laws can't stop them. Okay. They're going to do They're going to get what they're going to get and right. not even something going through their minds to acquire. Okay. But things, bad things before yeah. the, okay. Before the Hughes amendment, back in the good old days, people still made illegal machine guns. They still, convert, yeah. they still converted stuff. They were still, it didn't stop any criminals from after the Hughes amendment. It didn't stop anybody from, from making illegal guns, they continue to keep the ones that want to do it. Are were, gonna not, do were, they, were they terrorists back then that hated us? We had, yeah, we had Libyans and we had uh, <laughs> Palestinians. You remember the PLO? Remember that? They're the PLO. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We had we had domestics too. You know, we still you know there's, yeah. there's a group. There used to be a group called the Black Panthers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Symbionese, Liberate. Anyways, you know. Yeah, on, we on, have we've had lots of people. We had the Klux right. Klan. The Red Army. You remember the Red Army, the Italian thing, the Red Army. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had we had bad people. We still have bad people. The we law, still have the, the Ku Klux Klan. We still got you know radical and, and there, and people there, on yeah, all sides. There, so it doesn't that the, the Hughes Amendment or the 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 the, 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 the NFA stuff it doesn't stop anything. No, it's never stopped anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think that there's any law that we've ever made or that we could ever make that's going to stop bad people that want to do very bad things and very right. destructive things. I, I don't from know. Doing what, it. It's not, it's not going to stop. Know what, I don't know what is, uh, got a uh, fuller all uh, kind of itched up or whatever. Or, yeah. Or whatever. I'm not he sure. Can, he can say whatever he wants, you know, that's, that's, you know, got the first amendment thing, you know? Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, that's what I was going to say to you. I don't, now, think I don't know if I would do that in my business to get things riled up purpose, purposely. Um, it, it could be non-productive. But um, <laughs> well, so 
here's the thing. Like, I think we're trying to get Jim Fuller to come on, but it probably won't get him for like a couple of weeks. I know that before all of this stuff came out, Lola uh, was negotiating with his team in order to get him to come on. I think, you know, we've got to do time stuff because he's on a completely different time and all that. So we've got to accommodate him and, and hopefully we will get him to come on. But the thing I wanted to say about it as gun guys, if you doubt that Jim Fuller is down with the second amendment, then I don't think you've been looking at anything that Jim has said in the past. I think he was asking a question knowing that it might get some people riled up, but it doesn't mean like, Hey, we should jump all over. Like, how dare you? He asked a question. And if we, if you answer the question and you know, in your heart that no laws are going to stop bad guys from doing bad things. What it's doing is stopping us from being able to do things That's that right. we should be able to if, do. If you could go out tomorrow, if you could go out and buy tomorrow and buy a machine gun, just like you used to be able to do, or, or, okay, if there was no NFA, there'd be no paperwork or anything. It, it, it's, it's like when they said, when you get well, concealed weapons in Florida, it's going to be the wild West. What happened? Was it the wild West? No. Actually yeah. crime, crime rate went down. Right. Good people aren't going to do the Wild West stuff. No, the bad guys are still going to do bad stuff. And you're supposed, you're supposed to punish those people, right? You're just going to take that stuff out of people, law-abiding citizens' hands. That's right. all you right. Amen. Amen. Right. Right. I think that we know. I, and I think maybe, I, I'm not, like I said, I don't want to speak for Jim, but I don't think that that one question that he asked, he didn't make a statement. He asked a question. I don't think that that means we should all beat up on him no, uh, beat you up. Know, or say forget about these guys or whatever. I think he's asking a question. And if you know in your heart, if you could answer that question and you can say, look, I don't think it's going to make a difference except it's punishing us. Right. Okay. It's punishing us that we're good guys and and we want to be able to have these things, own them, use them, and and we're the ones suffering for it. And the bad guys don't give a crap because they never they never you know they're never going to go through any legal way of doing anything. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it that that thought. Can we handle it? Oh, are, are we are we big enough to handle it? It's like, huh? Really? Yeah. Who are, who are they to decide? Yeah. And and here's the thing. Look, uh, by the way, shout out to Ashley from Gunstreamer. Gunstreamer is in here. I got to talk to you about Gunstreamer here, Lou, if I remember. Walter, remind me. Okay, Uh, But here's the thing, Lou, that I think is important. Right. The reason why I'm bringing this all up, we have to be able to discuss these things like you. I know this. This is the first time you're coming on a podcast and all this. You are the president of a company that doesn't really, we've had other people come on the show, but you know, we don't really have a lot of presidents of companies come on these shows. Hey, wait um, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hello. Walter, I said, you know, we, we, I, I don't have a hundred employees. I don't, <laughs> I don't make, I don't make it quite those yeah. pretty shotguns like that, but yeah. yeah. Lou's actually a big boss. <laughs> so, you know, but I think it's really important though, Lou, for us to have these discussions and yeah. part of having these discussions, we can't beat up on people. Like if you say, well, hey, you know, for all this time that I've been doing this, I've been supporting the NRA. I don't think we're going to get anywhere if we beat up on you about it because we don't because we're not happy right, with right. the NRA. We need to take that out maybe on the NRA. But ultimately, we all have to figure out a way to 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 be able to get along with each other and not push our friends away when everybody else around us is already our enemy when it the, comes to the uh, Second the, Amendment. The, the gun community is one of the worst ones for jumping on each other's shit, trying to kill each other. As soon as somebody says something, everybody goes on full-on fight mode, you know? Instead you of, bastard! Yeah, how could you do that? Oh, 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 oh. It's like, okay, well, you know, um, you ought to take a lesson from the Democrats. And just kind of li- learn to live with each other and, and, and work toward a common goal, not not try to destroy each other. 
So yeah, yeah. What do you think about that, Lou? I know Walter's oh, a little fired I mean, up today. By the way, let's throw this one out there. Uh, let's just say hypothetically, tomorrow there was no NRA. Would you sleep better tonight, or would you sleep not as good tonight? <laughs> I, I wouldn't sleep good tonight. I would be worried if they if they get their way and they get rid of the NRA. I would be worried. What I think we need to do is the the NRA needs new blood. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's what I'm, I think. I'm not gonna say it needs new blood. I don't know what the answers are. Yeah, every, maybe it needs some fine tuning. I don't know. I that's you know that the NRA what they do. That's you know that's not really my specialty in a in a business. I know I, I know how to make guns, and right. I get the feeling as the president of standard manufacturing that they're supporting me and supporting making guns and looking out for my best interest to protect me, to continue to allow to make guns. That's, that, that's the, the statement that I make. Right. And why do you say that? Because, um, you know, if people are like, you know, someone might think is like the president of standard manufacturing, you are, you know, having, uh, you know, nice lunches, you know, you're just hanging out. Taco Bell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, what what exactly, you know, what's your day look like then if we're talking about? Because I know what the answer is. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be funny. Enough, but. Day, a lot of times there's no lunch. It's just, you know, I come in and, uh, again, this is Connecticut, so we're kind of closer to the, the, you know, farther away from the equator than you are, and we're kind of closer to one of the poles. But there's days, and you see in my office, there's no, there's no windows in here. There are days I come in, it's dark. I go home, it's dark. There's days that, that uh that I don't have a lunch. There are days that I said, Oh my God, it's already two o'clock. It's already three o'clock. I, I can't believe it. That's, uh, when you go in here, it's just like you, you lose, there's no clocks or anything. I don't wear a watch. Or, yeah. I think there is a, there is a clock behind you. I don't know if it's, it looks no, like it's working. Yeah. It says it's uh maybe, maybe it is working. I don't know. It's a 20 to 10 to seven. No, it's a, that's just, some, no. yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's yeah. just a, a bunch yeah, of that, with a big hand. Yeah. Even a broken clock is right <laughs> twice clock, a day. The clock's going to be right uh, in about 11 hours. Yeah. <laughs> but to make a long story short, my day and anybody who's been in here, who's been in here for a couple hours, my day is just running around, just getting thing, everything ready to be where it has to be and not, not putting out fires per se, but there's, you know, in a complex organization, there's a lot of stuff that needs attention, decisions to be made. There's a lot of things that you have to Take care. But honestly, when I come in, I'm not looking at what the NRA. I don't even know who Jim Fuller is. Okay, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I'm not paying close attention to what every little minute decision. I'm, they're big decisions. I'm not at the level where I'm watching it 24 seven. I'm yeah, running understood. it factory. Yeah, understood. Look, I think the reason why I asked you that is that I think that we there's. I absolutely understand where you're coming from. That's the way it is. I think for lots of people out there, some people have more time than others and are able to look at all the minutia. But I think this this is why what's happening in social media really is important, not just to sell things. Right. Because we all want to use social media to to make money, to sell things, to be able to support ourselves. But it's really important because of this. You know, a lot of people might not think that this does anything, but we are having the conversation. You know, you're usually too busy to know what's going on. But if you if we maybe plant a seed in your mind and you start thinking about it a little bit and the folks out there think about it and we're all talking to each other, they need to understand you, where you're coming from as a manufacturer that, um, you know, you're not you probably don't have as many people as you used to have because, you know, people aren't just. I know people think that they are, but companies are not making a ton of money out there from building guns. There's very little, um, you know, uh, how can I put it? Very little profit built into it, right? 
Yeah, by the time you factor in insurance, by the time you factor in keeping the lights on, by the time you factor in that the guy that works for you has got a kid with crooked teeth, by the time you factor in all this stuff, there's not a lot left on the table to, you know, to have fun with or develop new products. It's tough. And product yeah. development is, is very expensive. You know, it's, it's very hard for companies to come out with something new and to R&D it, to iron out all the bugs and to figure out how to manufacture it, to figure out how to do everything. It's especially we're not a big, we're not a big company we're small we're bigger than small and we're smaller than big but we're a little you know companies trying to break out into you know the big leagues i guess you know right. of you know the, the rugers and mossbergs and all that well, that's not us and that that helps us a lot but you know we're trying to grow the company we're trying to grow the business at the end of the day we're passionate about making guns every time that the uh, that a box goes out the door and goes to a gun shop. The guy opens it up. I want to be proud of everything that comes up, that leaves this factory. You know, when a guy gets it, that has that the, the great unboxing experience, and he's going to be satisfied <laughs> and happy. And if he needs has problems or he has a concern, you know, in a small company, when we get the emails or the calls coming in, I want to do our very best to make sure that the person is taken care of. Yeah, that's but the, and that's the reason why we're doing this here. My my whole attempt at um, doing this podcast every day. I don't know if I t- Lola tells me I don't talk about it enough is I'm trying to get the folks out there to understand me and understand other people, like understand what Walter's going through as a manufacturer, what you're going through as a manufacturer. Um, what, and then also for us to interface with the folks out there and know what they're looking for and, and what it's like for them and how, you know, I think there's on the flip side of everything that we're saying, it's real tough for these guys out there who really support the second amendment. And a lot of times feel like maybe they don't have any power because they're watching organizations and politicians just letting them down. And, and maybe they think, well, these companies probably have a lot of money. How come they're not doing anything about it? We all need to understand each other and right. see where we're really at. If we ever intend to do anything about this, except wishing, like, I don't think wishing is going to get us what we want. Right. We need to know what's happening. We need to figure it out. And then we need, all need to start uh, playing our part if we really want to have the Second Amendment yeah. in America in the next 20 years. Right. And I'm not I'm not the ideal activist. I, you know, I got a, a job all day long. Yeah, I, I get home. I'm a tired. I'm, I'm a bag of tired, tired skin and bones when I get home. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm going to go into the street with torches, Just work my way to the bed and pass out and, and live another day tomorrow. Yeah. So yeah. I've been very weak in being an activist. I want to be an activist. Yeah. But at the end of the day, with all the all the trials and tribulations, all the stuff happening at work, you go home. You're it, it maybe not it's, maybe it's not physical. This is not shoveling coal or working at a construction site, but it's mentally it just always stuff coming at you and thinking, 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 and it, it you just it, you're physically you're, you're mentally drained when you get to go home at night. Yeah, I can imagine. Factory, it's very complicated. Running, yeah. running a business is very complicated, especially when it, in this case involved in making guns. It's very hard. Yeah, very hard. Um, I know it is. Walter, I'm sure you know it is, too. Did you want to interject something? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, I get, I get the whole thing about, um, you know, sometimes you got to prioritize what you're doing during the day. You can't be sitting watching uh, uh, watching what's going on in Washington all day long, you know, and, and, and getting all worked up in that. Because if you get all worked up, get worked up for that, you're not going to get work done. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Um, but know, we do care. We do care. That's the oh, point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, during the day I'm flipping on Fox news and looking and see what's going on. And then, then I'm flipping yeah. it off and going back out and doing something. And, you know, yeah. I, I mean, do you, Walter, what did you do before this, before oh, you well, built guns? Before I, well, before I started manufacturing stuff, 
Yeah. What were you doing before you had anything to do with guns? What What were you doing uh, for a living? Or were you always in guns? No, no, no. Before that, I did a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> well, what was the last thing you did before this, before you started oh, building does guns? It, does, that does that include working for another gun person? No, no, not working for – what did you do that was a non-gun thing? Oh, oh I was mapping uh, cable TV things, systems, walking with a with a wheel and writing down what's oh. on the poles. And, okay. Um, <laughs> that was do you want to go back to that? Not necessarily, no. No, okay. No, I'm, so, spoiled. Lou, I'm spoiled. I like what I do. Right. Okay, Lou, what were you doing before you were doing gun stuff? What were you selling? I ran another factory for I was an operations director for another venture capitalist company in Connecticut that did something so off the beaten path from what I do now. I was uh, uh, we were in the textile industry, uh, uh, slicing paper and, and processing paper for different industries and fibers, nonwoven fibers, and also insulation materials for uh, for for things. So very kind of technical fibers and papers and processing oh, okay. and so forth. But before that, and this is really the really Really, how I cut my teeth into business was uh, uh, for ten years. I worked for General Electric as an engineer, uh -huh. and uh, that's where all this is cut. All, all my everything that I've learned in engineering school and working for what I present. I think everybody should have worked for GE for ten years under this guy named Jack Welch. My whole oh. <laughs> and and uh -huh. how I think and how I make decisions was based solely on that one man. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That is very interesting. No, like I'm not trying to be facetious or anything like that. That's very interesting. That's true. One man, yeah. one man, forget the fact that he managed uh, uh, 250,000 people. That time they owned RCA and NBC and, and yeah. Hot Point and, and a Beijing. bunch of stuff, man. A bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, 250,000 employees on the payroll every day. But uh, how that guy taught the, the 10 people underneath him to think and how those 10 people taught 10 people how to think eventually, you know, I'm 5,000 levels below this guy, but I was thinking the way he was thinking just because of this, this pyramid scheme that he had of training people and everybody is following kind of the same process map, how they do things. And that once was ingrained, what was, was ingrained with ingrained in me, the two important points, it, it was ingrained in me the first time. And I didn't come, I came into that business fresh out of college essentially. And I didn't have any bad habits. Now I, was, I wasn't some, you know, 52 year old guy that thought he knew everything like I am now, which I'm not, of course, but you know, I was, I was a guy that kind of was new to all this. And I had this incredible passion to learn and to understand how it was done. And I was really trained by the very best training people on the face of the earth. And to think on top of that, they gave me a paycheck. That was <laughs> the, good old, the good old days when someone was happy right? to have a job and learn from that. That's right. interesting. That company and how, what I learned and the opportunities and the empowerment I had at General Electric and forget the fact that the company's not even anything close to what. No, not remotely. It's not right. remotely the same thing. Late 80s and early 90s. But that was in terms of my business experience and my education, learning things, that was, you you said the word before, those were the golden years of my life and learning things. Looking back on it now, I didn't appreciate it. That's just how things were done. But looking back on it now, I, I wish everybody went through that same process. We'd be in a whole different place right now if every manager at every gun factory had experience, was trained indirectly through Jack Welch. Yeah, that was that was uh, the industrial golden age. Yeah. Walter, did you have another? Did you have something else you wanted to get oh, into? That's, bef that's before in industry turned touchy feely too. Yeah, 
Um, that's when sure. it was about. That's when it was about making money and being in business, not yeah. not yeah. being a social engineer and all that garbage. Right. It was brick and mortar. Yeah, that was true capitalism. Yeah. Capitalism yeah. has been infiltrated now by socialism. Yeah. Yeah. At least this, you know, social engineering. It turned into a bank, I guess, or something. I don't know. You yeah. know, social engineering. This idea you got to make everybody feel good and da 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 da. Yeah, and it's like, you know, get out there and get the job done. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, okay. So I don't think you guys want to go back necessarily to what you were doing before. Uh, the thing I want to pivot to yeah. is, nah. you know, you got, you are though, you, you know, you were mentioning that not every company is able to go out there and, and do different things. Now, you know, standard manufacturing is doing some different stuff. You get a lot of flack for it, but let's, let's move into that. We got about, see how fast we went through an hour, Lou? Most of it was you ranting. Not really. <laughs> you should do this more just because. What do I know? I'm, I'm, yeah. So, but let's talk about that though. You guys are making stuff. Um, in some cases, like you, you had, you had the STD 15, which is an AR, which I gave, I had two of them. You gave me two. I gave them away. We gave one to baby face. With the Hank Strange uh, logo. logo on them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What just that like, look like? I, I forgot what it looks like. The, the Hex Strange logo, it's yeah. right there. The, this oh, is the classic there this it is is. The old school one. This is the old school one. If you look down here at this thing right here, that is the new one that we're using. No, we'll stick with the old one. Lately. But this is the old one, the classic. And yeah, it's, on the, it's on this SKO here. So um, I know that um, you did the AR-15 thing, but you guys really what what started it was the DP-12 and um, and the other guns that you guys are working on. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Like, do you have a do you have a DP12 there? Yeah, I'm gonna grab one real quick while uh, uh, I'm talking about the DP12. But the DP12 is revolutionary and different than. And one of the things one of the things that we do here at Connecticut Shack, we make interesting things. Uh, while I'm on the subject, mm -hmm. uh, we have. I went to the shot show. We're all at the shot show. I went to the shot show. You have this company that makes. I'm not going to say millions, but lots and lots of inexpensive pump shotguns. They've come out with a semi-automatic Glock or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. and you have a guy that the company that makes, well, I'm not naming names. You have a company that makes uh, uh, really high grade AR 15s and they came out with a bolt action rifle. For right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we know, we all know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. They're trying to improve a Mauser 98 or something that's been around for 125 years. So what the point I'm making is this is, all the other gun companies, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's just how I perceive things. All the other companies, like watching a NASCAR race, just a bunch of guys going in a circle. You're not really sure who's in first place. <laughs> Look, a crash. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, that's true. That's what's happening. Like if the if the uh, slim or single stack nine millimeter is the thing, there's going to be companies that are going to pile on that and make that. Or if bolt actions are the thing, everyone's going to jump into that game. And make bolt actions. Yeah, you know, there's not a lot of innovation out there necessarily. Right. So, but can, uh, standard manufacturing. What our specialty is, and what I think is going to make us uh, uh, a very solid company forever and a day, God willing, is the fact we make kind of off the beaten path cool stuff. Okay. Example, the DP12. It's a double barrel pump shotgun that's ambidextrous. Uh, you 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 pump it. Make sure there's no ammunition in this thing. No, it's clear. Clear chambers. So you pump it. Uh, you pull the trigger the first time, it shoots the right barrel. Pull the trigger the second time, it shoots the left barrel. Kicks out two shells out the bottom. Uh, and, and pull the trigger again, it fires one barrel at a time twice. So it's kind of like if you've ever shot in a side-by-side -side shotgun. It's a side-by-side -side shotgun, 
that for a second becomes a pump shotgun. Instead of opening it up and taking the shells out, putting two new shells in, it becomes a pump shotgun, becomes a side by a side by side shotgun again. It's a pump okay. shotgun. Now it's a side by side shotgun. But this thing is really cool. We've made uh, I don't know, I'm thinking thirty thousand of these so far in a couple of years. So it really took off. We're really excited on how successful it's been. The reliability and uh, it's been perceived by the market very well. So this was really our entry into the tactical market, and we did very well with it. Okay, so let me just ask a couple of questions about that. I don't know if Walt has any. Walt, just jump in. Okay. Um, if you with the with the two barrels, right? If you fire one barrel and you want to go back to safe, can you do that? You cannot. You cannot. Okay. You you have to cycle it and clear both shells, then lock it. Oh, okay. You got to clear the other shell, then lock it. Okay. And okay. then, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's how it works. Okay, that's how it works. Okay. And uh, Guns of August asked this question. He wants to know why standard manufacturer neutered the California version of the DP-12, even though it was compliant in its original form. And he wants to know if someone caved to the Dems or what was the what was the reason behind I don't know what that means, but I'll tell yeah. you what happened. Okay. What happened was that California, and I'm not in California, I'm in Connecticut, and that's mm -hmm. bad enough, I guess, but uh, I'm not in California. California passed a law that didn't pass, and it may pass, it may not pass, I don't know. There's some law in California that uh, that was going to ban, by name, by name, mm -hmm. DP-12. A gun, the DP-12, the unusual thing about it is, is that it passes the California test, litmus test, because it does not have a magazine that holds more than 10 rounds. Okay, it's tube-fed. It has two magazines mm -hmm. that feed less than 10 rounds. Okay. And that's what they got with their kind of issue is. So they entered some new legislation that never passed that uh, says, or a gun that, fi that, that, uh, that uh, fires uh, more than 10, less than 10 rounds, but in, in totality more than 10 rounds, from multiple magazines, such as the DP-12. Oh, so they were going to specifically name and ban the DP-12. My name. Okay. And uh, to that end, when I say we neutered the, the gun, we did not neuter the gun. Uh, if you order a DP-12 and you want the 16-round DP-12, which this is, you can get it. If you want to hedge your bets into the future and say, I want the California compliant one because the law is going to pass one day and I just don't want to put up with that. We make it that way. We also make it. We also have a third option. If you want to buy the plugs to put them in there and putting a plug in a pump shotgun is nothing, not a new concept, for example, mm -hmm. for duck hunting and so forth. Yeah. Right. there. So if, for example, you have one that's a 16 round magazine and the law goes into effect, it doesn't go into effect. You change your mind. We sell you the plugs where you can convert it yourself. And if you're not that handy, you can, for a nominal fee, I guess, I don't even know what it costs, uh, you can send the gun up and we can convert it to the, yeah. the 16 rounds. It, it so, sucks how these laws, basically these laws are just creating problems for you I, as a manufacturer. And then you have to figure out ways of manufacturing new things around it. I mean, this is ridiculous. Right. But, but uh, okay, go ahead. Just to recap the statement, the question that the, the, that the person had, is that we did not buckle, we did not, we offer the gun in the version that you want, and if you're in California, you decide which one you want. If you can't decide and you change your mind, we convert it over one way or another. But we offer it either way, and it has nothing to do with buckling or complying or doing all this stuff. It's just we 
make it the way the people order it, and that's it. Okay. If someone wants it, so the 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 original DP12 is still someone could still order that in in California, and you guys will deliver it to them. I bet them. They don't buy it from me. They could buy it from me. They buy it from a distributor, and the distributors stock them into the gun shops in California. Every okay. Sometimes I sell them with the California with the California version that the law is not or whatever. But uh, any way you want it, we get it. We make it both ways. We did not buckle. People ask for it. We make it with a plug. Again, a plug in a pump shotgun is not a new concept. Okay. All right. Um, so let's see here. I'm trying to see if there are other questions. Um, you know, let me see what's going on here with the uh, – if you've got anything else about – someone's asking about Jim Fuller. I think Razor JB. Yeah, we, Jim, Jim, if you go to Jim Fuller's uh, Facebook, he has a video up there. If you want to see what we're talking about, you can go check that out. Uh, I don't want to go back into that and get lost in that right now, unless you want to rewind back in this video, which is. Yeah. And then yeah. and then Mac, uh, Military Arms Channel, he also kind of yeah. talked about it, too. Yeah. So let's see. Um, OK. And that's one. Go ahead. Uh, also, I noticed that um, and I'm just making a comment here. Mac is over in Germany to go to the basically the uh, European shot show. Iwa, yeah. And I'd, I'd like to ask him why when he's so down on the shot show here. Interesting. <laughs> just an observation. That's all. Just an observation. Okay. Do you want me to ask him that right now? I no. You don't bother now. The time. There's a time difference, my friend. <laughs> it's, not it's not that late. It's only two in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It is oh, okay. <laughs> it's only one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Either plus yeah. six. <laughs> oh, that's a good question, though. That you have, though. Walter. He must. He, it must be something. That, I don't know. Just a question. Yeah. yeah. We'll 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 send him a thing. I thought you didn't go to shot shows. Someone go put that on the on his Facebook or something. I'm sure. I know Mac. He's probably still up and he will answer that question. So okay. So that's the thing with the DP12. Here's what I wanted to say about the DP12. And by the way, if people have questions, this is a good time for the rest of the show. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the guns and ask Lou questions, get things answered here. Uh, what I like about the DP12. Unfortunately, in Connecticut, you can't buy a new AR15. Am I correct with that? Correct. So this is a gun that that someone in Connecticut could go buy and they could, you know, theoretically use to defend their home and have a larger than the, your average shotgun capacity. Right. And on top of it, because it shoots, uh, it shoots a shot instead of a slug, but it can shoot a slug. It's uh, good because uh, it doesn't go through drywall. OK, cool. And uh, what kind of warranty do you guys have on the guns that you make, including I don't know, like one year warranty? But if there's ever a problem with the gun. Send it in. We're very reasonable and fixing things and being attentive to, to, you know, customers and, you know, people who need. But I mean, we we're not getting rich off warranty work. Uh, but uh, if there's something, it's an old gun and if a customer did something, a gun's been around for a while. There's, if it fell out of a tree, you're probably going to get charged for something. In yeah. fact, I had a guy the other day. I don't think we even charged the guy. I don't even remember. Uh, he sh his gun got shot by another gun. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice one. I didn't charge him. I don't know. If, I don't know if the guy bought the gun a week ago or two years ago. I think the guy's in the shop, fix it, and send it back. To him. Was he a YouTuber? <laughs> <laughs> I think he had. I I don't know. I don't. Yeah, know. good. Very well. That really happened. I don't think we charged the guy. Yeah, I, I always say the same thing. Unless you do something dumb like run it over with a truck or something. Usually I fix people's stuff and I've seen some really dumb stuff um, and I don't usually charge people, but unless they've abused it or modified it, that's what I say. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So and, and, and folks out there have to understand that I think it's very it's very difficult financially for companies to just put that in writing that you could do whatever you well, want. The war- warranty stuff from state to state doesn't mean that. <laughs> Le- legal, legally doesn't mean a damn thing. Yeah. Because okay. every, every state has different rules about warranty stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. so basically the answer to the question is we have a we have a, a warranty period. After that, it's handled at our discretion on a case by case. Right, right, right. Okay. We're cool. I'm listening to you guys. I'm just moving guns around here so I can stop dropping them and breaking them up. Okay, so from the DP12, what did you guys build next? Well, from DP12, uh, uh, we're not going to talk about the AR15s because you guys probably people talk about AR15s on every other place. So yeah. we don't talk about the So are, are you and you're not doing are you still building AR15s just quickly? Everybody wants you us do. to make AR15. We still have them and the AR15 market has gone so crazy where I'm going to be I'm going to tell you that and I'm not going to get into exact numbers, but uh, when I see what I was paying, you know, before, you know, before the elections, well, I was paying as an OEM, and OEM stands for equipment manufacturer, equipment, original equipment manufacturer. When I was buying uh, AR-15 barrels from a supplier, a very good supplier, what I was buying the barrels for were this price. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what I see people selling <laughs> AR-15 barrels for retail on flash sales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because there's you, a lot of stock out there. That's why. Go okay. ahead. Uh, and uh, on top of that, you know, I go to the shows. I'm not going to get into prices, but uh, I go to the shows and I see a big manufacturer blister packing AR-15 lowers for an insane wholesale price. I see the wholesale price, an insane low. How I, I say to myself, how can these guys make this for this price? This is insane. This is crazy. Yeah. So um, yeah. I think the AR-15 manufacturers are going to have a tough go of it for a while because of the degradation in price well, of the finished product and price of all the stuff that's out there. And there's so many AR-15s out there already. Again, I, I, I was in a bad situation because I was buying all my components and I was making my AR-15 uppers and lowers from scratch or from, from forgings from one of the big forging houses. Okay. Uh, but to make a long story short, I don't know how a company went into uh, that makes the AR-15s goes on the on the rack and they see 500 barrels sitting there that they paid this price for, and now uh, uh, they're selling the same barrels through a flash sale for half the price. I and think they, because they need the money. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Walt. I know you've been trying. Yeah, to I mean, one part, all the pieces, the prices have just the bottoms dropped out out of out of them. Yeah, so I mean, I'm so glad I'm not making AR-15. I'm making them, but I'm glad that's not my our core. Business. Yeah, there's so many people making stuff, and then there's so many people that that were all excited they were going to be billionaires when Hillary got elected, and and uptooled all their you know, bought machinery, did this. They got to move the stuff. They don't move it. Yeah, yeah. they're going to go out of business. Yeah, I, yeah. I think a guy yeah. like me that makes AR-15s, he's going to have a tough go of it. And yeah. it's the consumer, because the stuff is, you know, I see AR-15s that are four hundred dollars. Really, they're pretty good guns. Under four hundred dollars. Yeah, one of the one of the one of the manufacturers of uppers was they did a sale, and one of my guys was telling me they were selling an upper for one hundred and twenty five dollars. And it's like, how do you do that stuff? But you have to move it, you know. Yeah, if it sits, you. It's not doing anything for no. you. Yeah. So, and here's the thing that I think, Lou. Maybe like I know I collect uh, lowers. So, and but those two those um two STD uh, Hank Strange lowers you made, I don't have Babyface 
has one and we gave away another one to a guy that so that's out in the world. Uh, I think there's, you know, I know I collect them and there are people who are out there buying the lowers. I don't know if you want to get into that. Maybe you could do special STDs like you could do the Hank Strange gonorrhea. The chlamydia lower. Yeah, the you know. <laughs> because people people might buy those. Yeah, people buy it's, you know. it's, it's like Palmetto, Palmetto State Armory does all these uh, uh, these different ones, step on the snack and don't step on the snack or whatever it is and yeah. these different ones and people buy the crap out of that stuff. Yeah. But if you want to build a, if you want to build an AR15 and it's you know you're on a budget, go buy you know one of these I don't know AR15 lumpers and lowers that are very little money and so forth. But what I do do is I sell AR15 uppers and lowers that are very a very very high build quality. These AR15 uh, uh, and this is a very important point that, that you have to kind of think about for a while. We have very, very good and very, very sophisticated machines. Really, really good machines. And saying that means nothing. Unless you have good people and without the people, without the handwork, without the people and the, the brains, without the brains and the hands, if you have the best machines in the world, uh, that means nothing. But yeah. we do have very good machines that make very expensive guns. Yeah. I don't think it's tough, right? Because the folks out there are looking for the best price that they can get and they don't necessarily realize the machinery and stuff. Like I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been behind the scenes. I've seen what you guys have. You guys have like, you're not, you're not making that up. You guys have like the next level stuff. Right. Like on the edge manufacturing uh, tools and stuff it's like that. Machine, so. It's machines that make expensive guns that have to be absolutely perfect because they're very expensive guns. Now, yeah. these same machines have to make perfect parts for AR-15s, S-333s. These machines have to make exactly perfect parts for exactly a different reason. The expensive guns need good machines because you need to have the best machines to make the best gun. If you have bad machines, when you put the guns together and you see things are wobbling and there's light, light you can see light between the parts, that's not an expensive, that's not a high-grade gun. But on the same token, you also have to make consumer level guns like the S triple three at three six nine, which we'll talk about in a little while if we still have time. We will. Mm -hmm. have, those same machines have to make a three hundred dollar gun because those parts have to be perfect. When that gun goes together, the guy can't put a rasp to it, a file to it. He can't be fiddle faddling with. Oh my, we have to do this because the machine couldn't hold the tolerance on this. But these same machines that make the world's most expensive guns have to make perfect parts. And they need people behind them that know how to make perfect parts. But these same machines and the same people have to make perfect parts for a completely different reason at the whole other end of the spectrum is because mm -hmm. these guns for $369 have to fit together, have to fit together perfectly. And on top of that, the guns have to be perfect and they have to be rugged. And the machines are making perfect parts. Yeah. OK. And I'm sure people are going to put them through some stress and stuff like that when they come out. By the way, just real quickly so we can get onto the guns here. Um, there's a couple of people saying that um, Max said I think James Miller said Max said it was because he was looking for new business. And uh, Husay said Mac um, said he was traveling for business with Copper Custom. So that's the reason why he's going to the German shot show. That's a great show to go to, by the way. I've been to a bunch of them and it was a great show. Yeah. So, you know, we're just all jealous. That's all it is. You know, just jealous of. OK, so let's go on to some other guns. OK, so we're going to skip over the AR-15s really here. Right, What's the next thing that you guys developed? Actually, you have one in front of you. Now we're going on to the uh, SKL full length. Right. I believe okay. that. Boom. Right. That's what we got here. Yeah. Now, the full right. length SKL is a gas system. Mm -hmm. 
that's very robust, very reliable, very high build quality for all the reasons that I've bored everybody with. Right, and magazine fed right there. But uh, and it has AR-15 style controls. It is mm-hmm. built in USA in our factory, and that's the SKO full length. Okay. We did then came out with an SKO uh, uh, shorty. Right. Is exactly the same gun as the SKO you have in your hand, except it doesn't have a buttstock. Because it doesn't have the buttstock, uh, it's not a shotgun as defined by the ATF. Right. So here's the shorty. Yeah. Put, let me make sure I put the magazine right. There we go. So the so shorty, the shorty. same gun as you just had. Right. And, and you could put a vertical. You could put a vertical on it because. Yeah, you can put you can actually put a buttstock on it, but the minute you okay. put a buttstock on it, it now becomes a shotgun. The only okay. reason why that gun is not a shotgun, it's not because the barrel is too short. The barrel is 18 and 7 eighths inches. Not okay. because the overall length is too short because the barrel it's 29 inches, whatever 20 over 28 inches, whatever the law is. Mm-hmm. It's not a shotgun, and this is an interesting point, because the ATF only defines a shotgun as being fired from the shoulder. Because that gun is not fired from the shoulder, it's an other. Oh, okay. Then it's an other, but you but you just you don't have to go through like AOW paperwork. No, no. Okay. It's, it's, you just check the box as another. Okay. If you put a stock on it, like an mm-hmm. AR-15 type of stock. It now becomes and always will be a shotgun. Okay. Because now it's fired from the shoulder, and if you, I'm not going to get into the details of that, but now it becomes a shotgun. Just leave it at that. Uh, then we also have an SKO mini. The mini now is another for the same reason that the TAC the TAC fourteen and do you have a mini there with you guys? Because no, I don't have a, I, okay. I don't have a mini here. But basically, it's a shorter length barrel gun with a I believe it's a fourteen inch barrel. And now to get around the overall length requirement, we put a functional buffer tube that has a spring in it to absorb the energy. So now it's an other because it really is an other. But it's not an NFA item. It's not a destructive device. It's not. Anything, but it is another, just like the 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 the, the TAC fourteen, and the other guns are. It's another because of the barrels being short and so forth. So, okay. even though the shorty and the mini are others, they're others for completely different reasons. Okay, and so they're magazine fed, and um, like I said, I've been telling folks that we're doing we're doing some videos uh, on these. So, what are the things that happen with magazine fed? Now, first of all, I believe this is a proprietary magazine. It is. It is. It won't okay. fit anything else. It may come okay. close, but it doesn't fit anything else. Okay. And uh, what's the reason for that? Why did you guys go with proprietary over using another um, magazine that exists out there? Walter would know better than I do. Well, magazines. there's a bunch of reasons, but basically that's the magazine that does everything we essentially wanted to do in our form factor of the gun. So it's we designed it the way we wanted to make it work. Maybe we should have, hindsight being 2020, maybe we could have used someone else's magazine or something. I don't know, but that's the magazine that we designed to make it work on that gun. And then mm-hmm. we evolved whether it was the right decision, the wrong decision. That's the magazine that works on that gun. It works pretty well. Okay. Uh, on top of that, uh, uh, so we make three versions of the SKO. We make the full length SKO, which is the original one. Then we came out with the shorty, and now we have the mini. Okay. Of which Mini is being tested by the FBI, and it seems like they really like it. So uh, they're looking for a uh, a solution to have a little short, semi-automatic, reliable, magazine-fed, AR-15-style control. So the FBI is looking at these guns, and their testing and stuff is going very well. Oh, really? Okay, so they're looking to add it to their personal arsenal. Right. Okay. 
Interesting. So now one of the things that I've noticed, the I mean, you know, these function and everything, right? I don't have any, I don't know if anyone has questions like Walter has questions. I think the big thing that we went through when we went to test these is uh, we use the cheap stuff. We literally use the uh, Walmart. <laughs> and this, I know this is not any instructions. You could chastise me if you want to, Lou. I'm sure you're thinking like, yeah, I'm going to smack you. But there were, the instructions say to use high brass. We uh, we tried using using the low brass stuff. I think your instructions say use high brass, at least for the first box or something like that, and then switch over to the low brass stuff. So the low brass stuff does not work that well. High brass works perfectly well. What is the reason for that? Well, one of the reasons are when the guns are put together, assembled, even though they're machined to a very high level, these mating parts have never been together outside of being tested in the factory and the high brass and these guns like to fire high pressure and heavy heavy loads over one ounce loads they like but it'll obviously do seven eighth ounce loads lower loads but once you start experimenting with 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 inexpensive shells once you start expensing exp, uh, experimenting with shells that don't develop the pressure because it is a gas system uh you 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 run into you can run into issues but once the gun's broken and it should be able to eat anything but uh you know it really likes to run on on high test okay uh, run, uh, once it's broken in and the gun is now broken in uh it runs essentially all the stuff we run and i'm not picking on fiocchi i'm not saying it's good or bad we run fiocchi we run herders we run all the different stuff through them when we test them here at the factory but uh, if you do have a new one uh, uh, uh run some high brass through it just to make it just to make all the parts like each other as, as the gun's breaking in. And after that, it should be, once you've shot the gun a lot, or you've used it quite a bit, then you can, it'll probably, it, it should fire everything you feed through it. And if there's problems with it, give us a call. We'll kind of walk you through it, or we'll take it in and take a look and see what the cause is. And if you specify the ammo you're having a problem with. And uh, you also have to understand that ammo is is all over the place. You know, 12-gauge shotgun shells aren't like a NATO 223-556 kind of ammo where every gun, every 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 gun is going is is going to uh, work differently with different kinds of ammunition. And that, when I mean every gun, I don't mean every SKO. Every gun manufacturer. If you take a shotgun shell from Remington and you compare the same theoretical shotgun shell from a from a, another company, you'll see that that primer, the metal that that primer is made out of, it isn't the same metal. How that firing pin strikes a primer of, of shell A is going to be quite a bit different from shell B because the material, the primer, can be different. On top of that, the radius of the primer can be different, which causes the, the, the firing pin to require more energy to penetrate it. A lot of times, don't take my word for it. Look at the shell, and you'll see that the primer is actually in, it set into the in, – it's not flush with the surface of the – with with the surface of the back of the the shell, mm -hmm. so shotgun shells and on top. I haven't even talked about the other side of the ammo in terms of the plastic and the length and the shape of it. Not a perfectly round, but if you're running high for these particular guns, if you're running high brass, uh, right off the bat, it'll make your life a lot easier down the road. The DP12, on the other hand, because it's a mechanical trigger, a mechanical feed, a mechanical ejection system, those right out of the box, they just go like yeah, yeah, because it's tube fed. I think Walter uh, Walter was talking about that. Uh, whenever you guys see the video when we put it out, um, and I think obviously we we didn't, you know, we need to uh, put more of the high brass through it and all that kind of stuff. But Walter, you were discussing that, right? Like there's a huge variation in ammo. Yeah, right. yeah, there's always the shotgun stuff. Shotgun shells. Yeah, the and the cheap shotgun stuff is really the the quality of the shells themselves 
a lot of times it's pretty crappy too. So yeah, you'll yeah. Pay for it. yeah. Another thing that I've seen and you and Walter, you've got a lot more experience with uh, magazine fed shotguns and all that. But what I've seen for magazine fed shotguns is a lot of them to function in general, not just in the beginning or whatever, they got to have the high, yeah, they have high brass. Yeah. They, yeah. It, it's just more energy to make it run. That's all. Yeah. Or slugs. So, and I've, and I've seen quite a few, some um, that are out there, they're even more expensive, but they only really work with slugs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, well, I think, go ahead. A, a slug uh, uh, is going to develop more, more pressure in, in the shell as it explodes. It's going to create more pressure than it's, if you have a one ounce slug, it's going to create higher pressures than a one ounce number nine shell. Oh yeah. 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 So what I'm interested to find out from this, because this is 100% American made, right? Is anything here coming from overseas? Well, maybe the, uh, uh, the plastic injection molded parts we okay. outsource. All right. Or stuff that we don't inject and mold here. Oh, okay. All right. So so everything other than the plastic stuff. Well, Pretty the much. mold. You're saying the mold came from overseas, right? You guys are doing it here? Uh, or the, the, everything's the, coming from overseas in yeah, plastic? The physical plastic is outsourced at a molding company. Okay. I can't tell you where. I got. I would have to check the Right. See. We have alters. We have more than one vendor for a lot of these parts. But to make a long story short, we don't injection mold. Injection mold is a whole different kind of business than we do. We our specialty is machining, making barrels from a bar of steel. Our specialty is making part, high precision parts from aluminum and steel. Our specialty is making blocks of wood into gun stocks. Our specialty is not injection molding. That's a whole different yeah. kind of. Ma- Actually. Okay. Yeah. By the way, your internet is getting a little grainy. So if anyone else is on any devices, shut no. off your devices over there. Right, that guy right there. Hey, come on, you. Yeah. Anyone who's on the right. internet, get off the internet because Lou is about to show the good guns. So what, what I want to do to see with this is whether or not it can run the, uh, I, like I know it can run the, um, the, the high brass stuff. I want to see if it gets to the point where we can run the cheap stuff just, just for grints for, uh, you know, yeah, I just want to be able to do that. Okay, so let's go on to um, let's go on. To, what should we go to next here? The S triple three. Yeah, we, we could talk about the nineteen eleven. Oh yeah, let's let's do nineteen eleven and the uh, and the single action revolvers. I think. Oh, by the way, wait a second. I'm sorry. This is my, my bad, Lou. Um, there's some folks out there asking whether or not we can tune the gas system on these. No. No. Okay. So not tunable. What he said. Correct. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, Walter. I thought you can't. That's what he said. I, I heard I heard it. That's what he said. I thought you can't. <laughs> okay. All right. So there I hope that answered everyone's questions. All right. I'm not even gonna throw things out there how to change it. That's no, we, don't get into that. That's like telling the uh, uh, tell your heart surgeon telling how to do quite telling your heart yeah. surgeon how to do uh you know, he's just no, not gonna talk people how to fine tune fine tune it's like we we're talking before is like a, a gun guy takes a gun apart and can't put it back together again yeah yeah we'll stay away oh, I, got this, I got this working again so that's not oh bad. you got that gun back together okay good now from, from playing with the gas operation system on the gun we're gonna stay away from that yeah okay that's just between me and you if me yeah. and walter start start like, yeah if me and walter start chopping up yeah. barrels and nine, stuff nine, like that 1911 yeah 1911 let's get to that <laughs> Here it is, right here. <laughs> we make this gun from scratch in the in, in the building. Yeah, hold it up a little bit here so the folks can yeah. see it. Obviously, the barrel we don't make, and uh, but all the other components, and obviously the springs and screws and so forth, we don't make. But all the major components are made in house from a forging, 
Uh, we get a forging of a slide. We get a forging of a frame. And we machine the gun in-house with, again, our machinery that we've talked about a lot tonight. Yeah, and, just uh, hold it up to the camera a little bit more so we could see it. There you go. All right, there. Awesome. So you guys can see that. Uh, what do you call that finish on there? Um, that finish is called bone and charcoal color case hardening. Case hardening. Okay. Bone and charcoal color case hardening. Pretty much, uh, there's a lot of history behind it, and I'll spend just a second talking about it. Back in the old days, where metal was hard, uh, uh, and they didn't have precision, they didn't have cobalt drills and high-speed steel, maybe they had, they didn't have these titanium nitride-coated drills that you have today. What they had to do is they had to get blocks of steel that were very soft, and when they machined them, they had to machine them with steel that's harder than that, because the machine tool steels were not very good hundreds of years ago, what they had to do is work with the metal was very soft. Okay. And they did that because the cutting tools were, were pretty soft. But you always obviously have to cut. The cutting tool always has to be harder than the metal it's cutting, which is common sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, to that end, when they're done making the gun and they're going to put it together, what they did is they did this case hardening. If you, buy, if you see an old gun from 1890, uh, an old uh, 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 coach gun or something, you see that – color case hardening look on there. The reason why they did that was just not to give it a cool look. The reason why they did that is because the metal is very soft. And to harden it, they would pack it in bone and charcoal and heat it at an incredibly high temperature for a period of time. And then they would take it out and then in, in, in this container, in a crucible, and they would quench it in cold water. And the mm -hmm. quench in cold water would happen that. That was tempering. The cold water was tempering the metal to make it hard. And the bone and charcoal, which is carbon, was being absorbed into the metal to make it hard. So the byproduct of the color case harding has nothing to do with the color, the beautiful colors. had to do with the functionality of making the metal hard after they made it. Uh, it's a lost art. There's really three guys that do the bone and charcoal. I did open up some, some combat magazine. Some, some magazine the other day, and there is a company that uh, is now copying us with the uh, case coloring, but that case coloring they have is a chemical process that involves cyanide and some other things. And You're doing the true case hardening with the charcoal bones. case coloring. Who, what, whose bones are you guys using? Well, that's uh, that that I'd have to kill you. To, I'd have to kill you to tell you. Oh, okay, just checking. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the bone is uh, it's actually it's believe it or not the, the the charcoal that we use and so forth is really like a almost pharmaceutical grade charcoal. And the reason is because we can get it, number one. And number two, uh, what you want to do is always use the same kind of material because you'll always get the same result. If we started experimenting with pig bones and leather and horse hooves and all these crazy, you know, a, a gnats, you know, a gnats, whatever, wing tip. If we experiment with all these different things that produce uh, 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 bone and charcoal, we would get inconsistent colors and so forth. So yeah. we very refined not, I'm not going to say medical grade, but we use a very refined, you know, uh, 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 scientific grade bone and charcoal material. And that's how we get the consistencies because it's always the same kind of get from the same source. And it's always guaranteed to be the same way. So okay. We, we use a highly refined bone charcoal to do this that's available. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Gunfather says that's old school annealing. Is that what is that? I'm no, not... annealing is actually softening okay. things. Softening. Okay. All right. Annealing is the process of softening something. Yeah, uh, you can anneal things once they're hard to get them back. Sometimes you do have to anneal things if you want to redo something. You, if it's hardened, you have to anneal it, and uh, that's the exact opposite as hardening is annealing. Okay. Softening. Yeah, just let's testing see. to make sure you know what you're talking about because okay. I have no clue. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, people, the, uh, let's see, Richard Hughes says you're using the bones of former employees. <laughs> and Len Holt is saying, don't volunteer to add your bones here. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is to the first guy, what was, his, what was the first guy's name? 
um, Richard Hughes. Richard Hughes. Richard Hughes. Actually, uh, uh, the bones of our previous employees. One of the things I'm really proud of. Again, this is not going after the "Don't Buy the Guns" kind of. I've had some employees here forever. I mean, I have employees where they've been here with us forever. I've had employees where their sons work here. I have employees where their wives work here. I mean, this is a great place to work, and I'm very proud to say that. I'm not going to say our, the Connecticut shotgun family, the standard family, but I've had people that have been with us for a long time. I've got people that the, their kids work here. I've got people that they're cousins, and i got whole families that work here. So it's got to be a great place to work because, you know, I've had the people for most a lot of 80 percent of the people have been here a very long time. And I have a lot of people that are related to each other here. So uh, that's kind of kind of cool. But yeah, uh, no, you don't good. really use human bones in, in, in produ- no. manufacturing anything no. if, we, if we can get away with it. But if anyone wants to volunteer, yes, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you our address. You can send us some bones in a box. Yeah, I would like to know that when I'm gone, my bones have been used to make some guns. Yeah. Okay. Well, and you can bequeath your bones to me. Yeah. So let's take a look at that case hardening in the 1911. Because, look, I'm going to tell you, that is really, really, really beautiful. Yeah. So and, um, and yeah, just hold it up a second. And the wood, the wood that's on that is really nice, too. Yeah, and uh, because we do make high grade shotguns, you can order it or order it aftermarket some fancy, you know, Turkish walnut, highly figured grips. Yeah, that's cool. And then, what did you do to all the? Because uh, there's certain parts of it that are bluer. Yeah, like that, I, some of the that bluing, uh, that that, that bluing is, is a niter or fired blue. That high. Well, just hold it up a sec. Sorry, Lou. I'm gonna, we're going to see it better. There. there you go. Okay. Wow. Look at that scroll work. Those are beautiful. I, what do you think about those, Walt? That's cool. That's yeah. Cool. Do you yeah. see that, that that bright, vivid bluing? That's yeah. fire bluing. Again, yeah. if you bought a very expensive $200,000 English London-made shotgun, you'd see that stuff on Yeah. By the way, I've been trying to get Lou to send me one of these 1911s for a T and E. He's like, "No, I'm man, I'm working on it." Yeah, no, but we do it's make. Not, it's not in the budget. What do what do these 1911s go for? Eighteen hundred ninety nine dollars, the most expensive one, the least expensive one. I'd shucks, I'd say it's about eleven hundred dollars or so. Okay. But the reason why the price is so low is because, uh, uh, you know, people are not generally standard manufacturing. Certainly not standard manufacturing. Uh, is not a household name in terms of uh, a, a high, you know, the guns that are out there. There are companies that get for a gun that I'm not going to say is a lesser gun, but there are companies that get, you know, $1,800 for a gun that if you put this gun alongside their $1,800 gun, it looks like they spent about $15 putting the finish on it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think if anyone thinks, like, first of all, 1911s can get really, really expensive. Right. Right. Um, I've seen entry level 1911s go from anywhere from 3500 to 7500 right. and then 1911s go all the way up to 20, 30, 40,000. dollars And so I've seen I've seen 2 million dollar 1911s. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to raise the price that high. But <laughs> the is once people kind of the, the standard manufacturer name gets traction, people now realize the build quality and how well the gun is built. Obviously, they're going to see that that's a four thousand dollar, five thousand dollar gun. But the reason why they're at that price is because that's you know we're we're new into the market. And if I do prices, and I, in my heart of hearts, I believe that's a five thousand dollar gun. And the reason why we we're not getting five thousand is people. I don't advertise in every magazine like some of the other guys, and uh, they've been out. You know, Sam Colt uh, was you know was, was out since the eighteen eighteen forties. So you know, I'm a new newer company. And uh, it takes a while to get to build the name to to, to do that. But my yeah. God, the 1911s that we make 
are as good as anything you'll buy at any price. Yeah. Um, Tim, not Tim says Lou stand, uh, standard 1911 is on my list to buy this year. So oh, there great. you go. Thanks. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I don't know if we can get a Hank strange code to help some people out there. I'll negotiate that with you. Um, off the air here. So yeah, those are beautiful. The 1911s are really, really beautiful. And I think that if, if you look like Lou was saying, like if, if you, if you saw that, I don't know if you could show us that 1911 again, Lou, but if you're looking, just put it close up to the camera. If you're look look at all this, the scroll work and stuff you guys see here, this is what they put on their shotguns. So the same machines like Lou is talking about, I mean, look at that scroll work. That's amazing. So, you know, if the, um, it, I think that the, the work, the machines that they put in to the really bespoke shotguns that they're making, you're getting the benefit of that, including right. with some. So the wood, the uh, wood grips and stuff like that, is that coming from leftovers from shotguns and things yeah, like that? A lot of times it is. OK, uh, we have a lot of leftover wood, because obviously when you make a shotgun, you need a piece of wood that's about you know 20 inches long to start with. And uh, uh, you get a lot of pieces left over that you just end up throwing away or burning or whatever you you know, yeah, something with so. you do with leftover wood. And uh, again, we used to used to throw it away in some way or, or another. But now these tiny little pieces for the grips for that in the single axe revolvers, we're using all those beautiful pieces, highly figured wood. And we're making uh, uh, grips for them and for, for the 1911s and single action revolvers. Yeah. So Babyface P has a couple of questions. Babyface P works with me, Lou. Um, and he's actually one of the guys that got the um, one of the two STDs. So we gave Babyface P an STD and there's a couple. One of the questions he wants to ask is with the STD rifle that he has, the barrel that's on it, it's a, a fluted stainless steel 223 wild barrel. He wants to know where that came from because he thinks that's an awesome barrel. Yeah, we OEM it from someone and that barrel is hole and hole. Those barrels are so good. Yeah. And Are people able to get those? That's why he's asking. He would love to be able to. You can call the company. We'll sell you a barrel. Oh, okay. So they can get in touch with Standard and and, and yep. get a barrel. Yeah, I've got okay. one. I've got one right here. In fact. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Cardboard box. No, cardboard box. That's not cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um that's one of the questions that Babyface P has here. Let me see what the other one is. He wants to know: Do you guys have do you got do you have guys doing hand scroll work? Okay. So there goes the barrel. Yeah, this this these were really nice barrels that yeah, went into yeah. these guns. These barrels are fantastic. Yeah, um, is it just the uh, two two three wild caliber that you have yeah. the barrels in? Okay, all right. Yeah, so there, that answers your question. Then the other question, Lou, is do you have guys over there doing the hand scroll work? And we at do. the same time, can we see the single actions? Yeah, yes, we do. Um, uh, one last point that I have to make okay. on, on the 1911. If you don't like the engraving, some people say, well, you know, uh, uh, I, I prefer. We also offer the gun in case colored unengraved and also blued, uh, uh, engraved and unengraved as well. And I don't have a blued example here, but I'll show you examples of the blueing that we do. The blueing that we do is like the blueing that you would see on a Between the Wars Smith or Colt, a very old gun that they would polish and polish and polish to a mirror finish. And uh, the only way that you can attain this level of blueing and I will show you on the on the single action revolvers is with hand work. There's you can't put the gun into a machine and it comes out the other end with this finish on it. The only way that you can get this finish on here, this old school blueing process, like you see on a on these old 1934 revolvers that you see, uh, is by polishing and polishing and polishing. And you know, 
these companies that did it back in 1934, you know, labor was like $11, $0.11 cents a day or something, you know? So they, <laughs> oh you know, they spend as much time they wanted polishing them. They just hire more people. But now because labor is very expensive, we still polish them, polish, polish them, everything to a mirror finish. And then we run it through our proprietary bluing process. And we have this royal bluing that, that will knock your socks off. Okay. So further- and, uh, and folks out there, if you guys want, if you're listening to this, you can't see anything or you, um, you, you, you know, you are looking at it, but you want to get better pictures, check out the website. I know some people are saying that they would like to see you guys get some better pictures on the website right? so they can see more details and stuff like that. Um, but this blowing that I'm talking about that you see on the barrel and yeah. the there, right. if you had this, and I know this is going to go on just a, a, a voice thing and not pictures. And you know, the, yeah, No, but people are seeing the video here and it's going to yeah. live on the YouTube. And that yeah. blowing, if you held that blowing in your hand, no kidding, that blowing looks 10 feet deep. Yeah, I've, I've, I've handled those guns. They're beautiful. Yeah, so the single actions, um, what do the single actions cost? The single actions are $1,895. Okay. And what calibers do you have them in? They're available at this point only in, again, we just started making them a couple months ago. They're available only in 45 long Colt. Yeah. So Babyface P is saying that that's bluing like Colt did on the pythons, and it's amazing. Yeah. On the early pythons, as you know, they started making pythons in '54. But that, mm. how look at that wood. That wood is nice, man. Uh, uh, yeah, I know so some people don't really care about that, but I could tell. I've been in your wood room. Your wood room is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this 1911 um, is available also in nickel plating, and it's also available with that same kind of engraving that you saw on the 1911 we just had. And then on top of that, you can order it with a five, a four and three quarter inch barrel, a five okay. and a half inch barrel, or. Okay. In this case, a seven and a half inch barrel, which were the original offerings that they offered. Right. And what were the calibers again? I'm sorry, I missed that. I was reading something. Colt at this time. Forty-five Colt. Yeah, forty-five LC. Yep. Okay. All right. Very cool. Those yeah. guns available uh, uh, through Bud's Gun Shop. I don't know if I can promote other people or whatever. If you love them or hate them, I don't know. No, I no. It doesn't matter. If you want to tell the folks out there how to get their hands on your stuff, I'm happy. Bud's Gun Shop has been assigned to you know to kind of handle the distribution of them, and so they usually have them in stock. Versus, or you can, you know, call us and, you know, if we have to make something that you want unique and different or something with a, a one-piece grip or some different thing on there, call us. And if we don't make it, we'll point you in the right direction or give you the, the most sound advice that uh, we can do. But uh, they're available in all the different configurations that we normally offer through Bud's Gun Shop. And what I like about that, again, whether you love them or hate them or whatever the case may be, they are always have in stock. They're not afraid to carry inventory. And mm-hmm. you can call them and it's that you're – you know, gun favorite gun shop in two days. Yeah. Um, Len Holt is, is asks, uh, Hank, is that SKO bullpup? Is that what you have? Um, no, I do have a DP 12. They, you guys were supposed to make a bullpup out of the SKO, but you, you didn't put that out, right? Yeah, we're, we're look, we've got prototypes working and so forth, but we've kind of spent all our time. It's not that we're blowing people off. We've kind of spent all our time on that gun that we're going to talk about, I guess, last. Yes. Um, are we ready to go to that? Do we want to okay. go? Let's talk about that gun. Yeah, let's talk about the S333 because I know that Walter already said Walter already called dibs. I want one. Yes, Walter called dibs. (laughs) So let's take a look at this here. There we go. Thunderstruck. The volley fire. Where okay, what are we just looking at the picture, Lou? What's going on here? Come on, this is called the tease. Well, <laughs> okay. Can we see? Um, do you is that still in prototype phase, or what's going on it's with these? In prototype phase, and it's very close to being in production. Very close. Again, this is when I was talking about coming in before the sun comes up and leaving after the sun goes down. This is it right here. 
Boom. Okay, here we go. And this is a prototype. Yeah, so this is the prototype. So if you look, I have videos on this, and there's quite a few videos uh, from SHOT Show. Look at that. Uh, Yeah, double-barreled, right, 22 Magnum. Yep, rimfire. Rimfire. So tell us about this for the folks out there that don't know anything about these. If you don't know anything about these, this is the gun for you. I had a guy actually at the SHOT Show, uh, some SWAT team guy from I can't tell you where what SWAT team, not that it makes any difference. I had a guy come out and says, this gun is terrible. This is the worst gun that uh, uh, I've seen at the whole show. A SWAT uh, guy? <laughs> the worst gun I've seen. In fact, uh, the worst gun I've seen at the whole show is a terrible idea. It's terrible, 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 terrible. And I said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm, I, I'm in some police department. And I'm the head SWAT guy, and I train all the people. You should never change the way you do whatever you do around the design of a gun. And this and that. I, so I asked the guy, well, what do you shoot? I shoot, I think it's like a Glock 19 or Glock 17. And uh, well, how many hours a year do you spend to train to qualify? It's probably 90 hours or 60 hours a quarter. Some crazy thing. Okay. I said, uh, will you trust your wife or your sister, or your uncle, or your aunt or your grandmother with that Glock to protect yourself with one in the pipe loaded with that firing pin holding would you trust that person? Well, of course not. They're not qualified, trained to use this gun. Okay, then this is exactly the reason why this gun, you should be telling everyone that's not a gun expert at your level and they want to protect themselves with a gun, this is the gun for them. Firstly, and I'm going to go through this whole, I'm going to go start to finish on, on this. Yeah, by the way, lots of people are saying they like the pig nose. The hog nose? Yeah, the hog nose. On yeah. the gun or on me? No, on the gun. On the oh, gun. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you have a statuesque Portuguese nose. Thank that you. Helps. Thank you. If that helps anything. Yeah. It's more, uh, it's more Roman. It's more Roman, but you know. I got to check, check my ancestry thing and see what Yeah. Yeah. So okay. basically, why this gun is great for someone that just wants to protect themselves. So, is number one, it's a classic revol- double action revolver in every way. There's a button here. You really, it's pretty obvious what this button does. You hit the button, the, 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 you open up the cylinders. Right. If you just yeah. shot the thing, there's another button. You push that. And you push that, and the spent shells come out. Okay. And that, most importantly, is the third, really the first button, is uh, the trigger. Okay. So you need to know three. there's three control items on this. It's the button to release the cylinder. There's the open the cylinder. There's a button to eject the spent shells. Uh, and there's a button to make it go bang. Uh the beauty of this gun is, number one, I want to call to your attention, the double cantilevered trigger. This trigger, because it's a double action gun, and because uh, uh, it's firing two rim fires simultaneously. Yeah, people are asking that question if it fires one at a time or two at a time. This one fires two at a time. Two. Yeah, two shots for you. Two shots for you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so what happens is you pull the trigger first time, it shoots two. Pull the trigger second time, it shoots two. Third time, shoots two more. Fourth and last time, shoots uh, number seven and eight. So within two or three seconds, you've just compl- shot eight rounds. Mm-hmm. Extremely reliable. Uh, again, for an old elderly person that's protecting their home and they're getting a social security check and they're afraid that someone's going to home invade them and they have arthritis or something, you've got two fingers here. To pull to, for leverage for that gun. If somebody's mm-hmm. weak or doesn't have a strong grip or something like that, uh, a, a small woman of small stature, or you have uh, an older person, 
This is something really easy to control. And secondly, because it fires 22 wind mag, okay, it doesn't generate a lot of recoil for okay. because it's a 22, very small. And on top of that, the barrel is so short, it's not building a lot of pressure in the barrel. This gun is not designed to do target shooting at 60 yards. This gun is designed to save your life when someone is coming at you with a pipe, someone's coming at you and they've got a knife, they're coming at you and they've got their hands around your neck, and the only thing, you're, you're afraid of dying. This gun is designed for that. Uh, so that's the triple three, triple fire. Well, why two shells at once? First of all, when ballistically, when you're firing two shells at once, Obviously, the penetration of this gun, what it does in, in in ballistic gel, is amazing, number one. Number two, on top of that, you can mix and match. I'm not telling people to do this, but this is an option. You can mix and match birdshot and okay. bullet in each one. So, And it doesn't matter what you do because as long as they're, 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 every other one is the same thing, no matter how you pull the trigger, it's going to be one of each. So let's just say that you have an assailant, and they're strangled. They're, you're being strangled. You may shoot them at a foot away, and you'll miss them just by here, and shoot them again, miss them again by here. But when you have birdshot, okay, uh, uh, number 12 is approximately 120 pellets of number 12. If you shoot that because the barrel is so short and the, it's going to pattern wide very quickly. You're gonna so you're going to get a wider spread, you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Now the person mm-hmm. step back, okay? So he's getting hit with a bullet, and he's going to get hit with a uh, birdshot at the same time to, to stun the guy, get him off you. So mm-hmm. very a very powerful option. Yeah, you can do two pe- bird shots and then the rest bullets. You get a lot of different combinations, but it does fire two at a time. Uh, secondly, uh, this gun is, is novel in the way the trigger guard goes around it. And it's, the design is very snag-proof. I've carried this thing in my pocket a lot, and I've never gotten this thing snagged anywhere pulling out of my – I'm not a big guy. I'm not a small guy. I just got a, I'm just a regular guy. And this is something I can keep in my pocket or a woman can keep in her purse. You can pull it right out and it's ready to go. And because it's double action, you don't have a firing pin or a striker compressed in a spring, and you don't have a, 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 a live round in a chamber, and there's maybe some, there's almost nothing. The, the, the chances of accidentally misfiring this gun, this gun fires like you shoot a bow and arrow. You have to pull the string back and then let go. That's the way. There's no, there's no built-up energy in, in behind the firing pin that may accidentally discharge if you drop it or anything like that. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, so I see James Peters asked this question. Is it going to be California compliant? Uh, I, well, the California compliant, from what I understand, and the, the, the short answer is, well, the, the answer is going to be yes. I have to submit samples to them. They do drop tests. I'm looking into that right now. So I'm doing, I'm seeing what's involved in making California compliant. Okay. Yeah. This gun is designed to save your life. This gun is designed for a person generally that does not have a lot of experience does not train with guns all the time although someone trains gun for a backup gun this gun yeah. is ideal yeah but- people will find lots of uses i mean i know there's people out there who are like there's no use for this or whatever i think there's lots of uses you're saying you're designed it so the older people people that have like arthritis and things like that can use it anyway, it could, uh, be, could be you could be me could be anyone this yeah. gun is designed this gun is designed essentially to save your life when someone is three feet away uh, statistics have shown when this happens, you got three feet, three seconds, and three pulls of the trigger. This gun, you have four pulls of the trigger in three seconds, and you've got eight rounds downrange from this guy. Again, this is when you're being attacked, and you have nothing. You have nothing okay. to you except this gun. Right. So, uh, Too Hardy says, why the weird hook-like trigger guard? 
Well, the hook like um, trigger guard is to obviously not snag the trigger in any possible way when you, you hit it up against something. Okay. But weird like, uh, you know, the Wright brothers, you know, people thought that the Wright brothers were weird, but this is different than usual. But again, it's it's a very snag uh, free design. And I also want to call to your, your attention the uh, double cantilever trigger with the blade safety in it, which you I don't okay. remember seeing. Uh, again, another level of safety. In a revol- I don't know. Is Walter, is that the first time you've seen that in a revolver? I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone, okay, Guns of August wants me to ask you why you carry the 38 instead of this. Because that's uh, an example. I love, I, I love J-Frame 38s. That's why. Yeah. But I think also this is a I mean, prototype. I mean, I mean, these are still prototypes, but I do yeah. care. <laughs> this is in production. Uh, tell, what was his name? Jim, Jim was his name? Uh, Guns, Guns of August. Guns of August, when these are coming out, I'm carrying this thing. I'm going to get rid of all my J-frames. But I do like Smith & Wesson J-frames. Yeah, yeah. It's a personal thing. You know, there's dudes that carry 1911s, stuff like that. Walter carries, uh, what do you carry, Takarevs a lot of times? No, not. I, I have a Kel-Tec <laughs> in my pocket. Okay, you got a Kel. I know, but but there's a lot of times when you have, like, some, you know, uh, Eastern block, you know, pistol. <laughs> I like those guns, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's cool, yeah. yeah. Back to the S triple three, far more reliable than a semi-automatic. You don't mm-hmm. want your wife, your children, elderly people uh, uh, with semi-automatics that require a lot of training. And on top of that, if that semi-automatic jams, game over. Yeah. Listen, I will tell you something without a doubt from what I've seen. Lots of people are very interested in this, not just because it's like a weird looking gun or anything like that. I think genuinely there's lots of gun guys out there that like the idea of 22 Magnum. I know you guys were looking at this before in 25 ACP, 32, 32 and other things. I think people genuinely like the uh, 22 Magnum. There's a whole bunch of things they like about this and people can find um, lots of places where they can, you know, they think it fits in, not just for the old ladies and stuff like that. This you know, gun, but I understand this design, that this gun is designed to save your life. I don't care if you're a young guy, an old guy, an old lady, someone. This gun is designed to save your life, period. It's got all the factors that do that with high degree of reliability. Again, much more reliable than a than a, an automatic pistol. That thing you, you get, it takes a jam. You're out. And on yeah. top of that, far more reliable, even though the simplicity of, of, of a, a revolver, but far more reliable than a revolver is because if the revolver, that firing pin breaks, not that it would, but if it does, this has got two firing pins, two redundant systems, and you got eight shots at it. So it, it, it's numerically almost impo- impossible, nearly yeah. impossible. For There's this, a lot of – go ahead. It's nearly impossible for this thing when you pull the trigger. Yeah, you might have a dud, a dud shell, which on the automatic is going to stop the gun from working until you clear it. This thing is going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And yeah. two systems at once. If one system's not working, the other one is. Yeah. So we got a bunch of questions here. Sure. Um, uh, Nate Luddy wants to know if you guys have a price range for that yet. Sixty-nine. Say it again. Three hundred sixty-nine dollars. Three sixty-nine. Uh, when is it coming out? And hopefully two months. Two months. I'm okay. starting, all the part. All the parts are being made. I'm got it. I've, I'm down to almost into production. Very yeah, close. I think I think you're going to sell a bunch of them. Um, Brian Quick wants to know what's the weight of it. Eighteen ounces. Okay. Um, Kathleen Music Lover says, "What's the trigger pull weight?" Under ten pounds. Okay, under ten pounds. Okay, lots of people out there, very, very, very interested in this. Walter, uh, what are you thinking about it? And at the same time, you have that badass uh, gun that we've never seen, so you got to. 
in whatever time we have left, I would like to see you open that up. I I, um, I like I like I think it's interesting. Um, that I mean I, I'm interested in the design. Um, I want to get one. No one has ever done this. Yeah. Nope. That's for sure. I'm doubting Thomas's looks weird. How come this? How come that? You know, the first time they saw the Wright brothers saw the plane, this was you know this you know the, the people used to see hot air balloons floating across the sky. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen, you're gonna have to send us a couple because I want to duo wield it. Yeah. Now. I've never been more excited about anything than this guy. Okay, I w- make sure the Hank Strange situation gets this uh, first. You know, Nate, Nate Luddy wants to know if people can pre-order. No. What, okay. No. I don't think pre-order is a good idea, guys. People are cool. Here's Me personally. People, people are cool. I don't. I'm, I'm sure Nate Luddy is not that guy. Right. <laughs> uh, I want to go on the list. I want to leave a deposit, and they're cool with it. The first week or the second. By the third week, they're screaming, calling every three minutes. So we're. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no anything when they're ready to go, and I turn on the faucet, and they're going out. Then everybody can just order them up. uh, You know, real nice. No, you know. Yeah, listen, standard manufacturing. If you guys are what like worried that standard manufacturing is not going to be able to make a lot of these, I'm going to tell you this is from my personal experience with Lou and the and the guys at standard. They will be able to turn these out if you want them. They could turn these out on mass, right or wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, people were, uh, you mentioned there's a hundred people. Our factory is over a hundred thousand square feet. I know if you're watching this podcast or listening to it and you think we're working out of our garage or our, our mother, the basement at our mother's house or something like that, you're way off base on that. We're a large gun company that is used to making very, we're a big company in the high grade gun industry, but you're not familiar with us because we're kind of new to the tactical stuff, but we'll have no problem producing these guns and having the, the machinery, the resources, the talent and the cardboard boxes and instruction manuals and the shipping, the fulfillment, we're ready to go. Awesome. Go. Yeah. I think there's lots of people waiting on it. Okay. So Walter, are we going to see the gun? Can we see in or <laughs> Oh my God. That's but that looks good, man. Tell me that doesn't look good. Well, yeah. Well, it looks good. That looks. Be- I love the raw. It looks so. Um, oh, it's it's raw, baby. It's raw. I thought that was nickel. Is it, that? It, I I think it's just a brushed sheet metal. Is all it is really. It's there wasn't a lot of finish to them. Um, it might they might have put some kind of flash finish on the outside of it before they. But um, this yeah, hold it up like, higher, Walt. Hold it up higher. This so. one's just like the real one. So basically, what you do is it looks like a space gun. Yeah, well, it's a space gun, all right. In the back <laughs> This is how you. This is how you cock it. Right there is cocked. Right. Uh-huh. So basically, um, we pull the trigger. It drops. That drops, and it's it's real basic. You pull it open. You turn it to the side. You got this. You got this gate back here. You open the gate up. Right. Right there. You drop the round in. You close the gate. You bring okay. this back around to that position, and then you pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Boom. Yeah. And then you get so. And then what was the purpose? So yeah. like, just walk people through what was the purpose of this gun. Fascinating. You walk up to that. You walk up to that German soldier, and you uh, and you say, uh, "Hey, fuck you!" And boom, you shoot, him. <laughs> and and you take you take his Mauser, you take his MP40 or whatever he's got, uh-huh. and you toss this thing in the river, in the woods, and you and you go off with the good gun. Yeah. Okay. Just keep holding it up. People want to see it here. Um, uh, Big Cliff says it looks like a tattoo gun. That's really beautiful. So um, <laughs> these. Tattoo your ass. That's yeah. So you're saying that uh, we were parachuting this into. I mean, that was the idea where? to drop them into France and stuff and places where there was clandestine activity, probably in the Philippines and stuff like that. 
but I don't think it ever happened. Yeah. Um, By the way, this is the Liberator, guys, the right, original right. Liber Liberator. Are there any markings on this, Walt? Uh, well, this is a reproduction of the original Liberator, but no. Oh, this is a repro. Okay. Yeah, there's no markings on it, which when the, when they when the company that made these these reproductions, and this was fully functional, when they shipped them out, actually that hole for that firing pin wasn't drilled to size. Because mm -hmm. so, they were not like they were shipping them, but it was like if you want to if you want to shoot it, you got to drill the hole for the firing pin. So um, I did it, and actually the first ra first rounds I shot through it were some actually 1942. Uh, World War II vintage uh, 45 rounds. It's 45 oh, ATP, and it yeah, it's it's just a handful. Let's say that it's a stinger. Yeah, It'll, is there is there any kind of rifling in that barrel? Yes, this barrel there is because you know this is to be legal. Oh, okay. If, if you didn't have rifling, it'd be an NFA. It'd be an NFA item. Probably not. Why would you even bother rifling? You're just gonna shoot the guy standing there. Yeah, yeah. back in the old days, no, they didn't rifle a thing. It's, yeah. it's, oh, and that was yeah. very expensive to rifle it. Yeah. yeah, it's a it was a belly gun. You just walk up to somebody and shoot them close yeah. range. Yeah, it's so. really cool though, man. I I really think that's cool. You don't see stuff like that every day. It's fascinating. Yeah, we'll we'll shoot it when we get together next time. Yeah, we have to do a video of it. Um, the reason why he we were talking about it, Lou, is because Walter has um, from Stinger. You ever heard of Stinger Manufacturing, Lou? Yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah, Walter has the uh, Liberator from them, which is like a little tiny block. It's <laughs> we didn't even want to shoot that. I personally didn't want to shoot, to shoot it. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, so um, I, it was locked up, but yeah, it's real. Yeah. Just break open, drop around in, close it, cock it, boom. Yeah, very simple, very simple gun. Very cool, Walter. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, so we're pro we're about to go over the nine o'clock hour. Go, just show it one more time, Walt. For the folks out there, yeah, nice, lovely awesomeness. Okay, so we're about to go over the nine o'clock hour. I don't want to keep Lou here too long because you know, poor Sorry. guy. No, I worries. think, yeah, I think you've you got fired up a little bit though, Lou. <laughs> right? Over this. Yeah. This yeah. is the coolest thing. Yeah, it is cool, man. That's I'm not I'm not blowing smoke up your patukas or anything like that. That was lots of people requesting me to go to go visit you guys and take a look at that gun. People have been asking me about it since the show. I don't, you know, I mean, unless something crazy happens, I don't think you guys gonna have any problem selling those. No. The more people start thinking about it, the people are going to go to bed tonight and they start thinking about it. It's going to start playing their mind and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. In about 48 hours of thinking about this, wow, that thing is really designed to do Exactly that is protect someone when that's the last thing, the last line of defense, 100% reliable. As far as we can, we've taken everything into account to make it is nothing in this world is 100%, but we made this thing just as close to 100% save your life as it could be. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Gun Doctor TV says he's definitely going to get one and do a review on it. I think you'll see lots of stuff coming out. Um, OK, so to to wrap this all up so you can go, how can the folks out there that want to get in touch with you guys uh, follow you, you know, check out what you have going on? What what are you recommending they do? Instagram and Facebook and it's stdgun.com. If you go on Instagram, you type in stdgun.com. You can't forget that. You'll find our Instagram account or whatever it is. And Facebook, the same thing. Our website is www.stdgun.com. Uh, so it's something easy to remember. And you can kind of send us an email off of that, info at stdgun.com also. But uh, between the website, info at stdgun.com, www.stdgun.com, 
the sgun.com on Instagram, Facebook. We're easy to get a hold of. Very easy yeah. to get a hold of. Yeah, absolutely. Just look at you can search standard manufacturing yeah. as well. There's lots of stuff. We're gonna do, like I told you guys, we're gonna do some stuff. We're gonna give away the uh the SKO mini here. We're gonna give it away on the channel. We're also gonna invite Lou to come back on. You know, tomorrow so night. Uh, huh? Are hours. you saying tomorrow night? Don't don't make that commitment. Lolo pencil you in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're gonna do we're gonna do a giveaway with that, and we will have Lou come back for that giveaway. We'll give you guys the details. Of course, we've got videos and things like that coming out. But uh, you know, we want to thank Lou for coming on and hanging out with us. Make sure you check out Standard Manufacturing. Walter, what do you yeah, want right. the folks out there to know? How can they follow you? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, just under Safety Arbor Firearms. Um. Yeah. And you post, uh, post a picture of that liberator up on uh, Instagram. Yes, sir. I'll get that done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll, cool. that'll, that'll, that'll be the late night post. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 So follow Walter on safety. Uh, some folks are asking about cal. You know that this is going to happen, Lou. Calibers. What calibers are you going to do with that gun other than twenty-two? Well, uh, obviously, you know, would change the form factor to something a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. Right now, we're focused on getting these guns out. Get them into production. Then I, I, I will throw this out there, and I'm tipping my hand a little bit, but not really. Is that this is a great platform to go up, go down, go left, go right. A lot of a lot of different directions we can go with this thing. And uh, like I said, our first pass of 22 win mag. That in in my opinion is a great self defense cartridge times two. Yeah. Absolutely. Jafari H says, thank you for the STD. <laughs> we'll have, we'll have standard manufacturer. We'll have Lou come back on. We'll do stuff. We'll get uh, more things in here, make some videos and stuff like that for you guys. I want to thank everyone for watching. Um, if you're not subscribed already, please do subscribe, ring the bell down, down below somewhere there to be uh, notified. Okay. Make sure you share this with folks out there, get out there and follow standard manufacturing. If you want to win, if you want to win that SKO mini, you're going to have to be following standard manufacturing on all their social media. Okay. And you're going to have to stay tuned here. You're going to have to watch stuff that we put up on uh, Hank strange. So uh, that's pretty much it. Anyone else, uh, Lou, Walter, you guys have any last words for a kick out of here? I'm Walter, good. it's been a pleasure, Hank. It's oh, been yeah. a pleasure. And you got anybody out there in the community, uh, 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 in the shooting uh, sports com fraternal community has any questions we're easy to get a hold of all right cool. absolutely okay lou you stay right there we're ending the show right now guys we will see you guys tomorrow um uh, we have tyvin we have the tyvin show coming on to talk about his event that's coming up tomorrow we'll see you guys tomorrow we're out of here